3: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another
1: edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I am your co-host, Christopher Mookigata-Harrington, joined by my three and a half foot to the upward area by Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston, live from uh, Niagara
4: Falls, New York. This is WrestleNomics Radio. We're actually in Buffalo. I know you, you believe that we're in Niagara Falls because we're so close to the Peace Bridge.
1: We are absolutely... We are like... in. I needed a passport to get to your house. Really, did you have to go through customs to get I, here. I kind of, oh, I had to go through sad customs sad to customs. get here. That that's where I had to check all my glee and happiness as I drove into the. uh the nuclear wasteland that is this part of Buffalo, where it feels like everyone has left the streets, and it is—it was snowing like it was the ash from it the was snowing. Out. I don't
4: know if it's still snowing, but it was I opened the door when you came in? And it was just the snow was coming down. The snowflakes were huge.
1: It was it was it was just kind of a bland, dreary morning driving all the way out here, and uh, I decided to to channel my inner thirst in and I refused to pay the tolls. So I only took surface roads that did not require any money so I felt like I was really paying you an homage.
4: Thank you. You you're here you, you 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 noted how big the uh, I'm living large as you said here. Your in the bathroom. bathroom might be bigger than your bedroom. Uh, it is the, the bedroom is bigger but it it's a uh, it's a decent size. It's not a huge bathroom. It's not a huge bedroom. But it's uh, I would say it's about half. The bathroom is about half the size of my bedroom you know
1: and i did notice one thing in your your uh, bathroom oh and what? that was of course dr carver's shave butter yes. from the dollar shave club remember you can always check out dollar shave club if you go to dollar shave club use the promo code we because you're part of the wrestlenomics empire
4: that's right i still and it's the dollar shave club uh,
1: razor in there too oh nice yeah nice but yes, uh we are here, we are live. I'm visiting my family, all 16 of us in Rochester, New York. Uh, my brothers are here, uh both of them, uh one from Maryland, one from Ohio. And so it's rare to have all of us together. It's been actually a couple of years and then we have all the all the nieces and nephews, so wow. there's eight adults, eight children. Wow. There's equal numbers of men and women. It's it's uh something else. Uh so it's a lot of fun, a lot of board
4: game time, yeah. playing some euchre. Really? really excited about Euchre. did uh, did you get any uh, interesting christmas gifts
1: ah uh, good question um now i'm going to feel terrible that i don't <laughs> remember anything like special that i got in in a lot of ways you know going to japan is my big christmas gift to uh, uh, uh exciting times so i got like a business card holder and things really? like that uh an engraved pen and and uh things like that that i i, I have um Gosh, what did I get that was interesting? My dad got me um, uh, this. I always love a lot about magic tricks and the history of magic, so I got a really good book about magic from uh, Jim Steinmeier that I'm really excited to read. And then my dad has always liked those uh, the greatest lecture series, yeah. And so he'll always be like, how to do this, how to do that, how to you know the the most important Greek myths. And so he got me one on on magic written by a Harvey Mudd professor. Should be interesting.
4: Interesting. How about I got,
1: you? What did you get?
4: I got a uh, a weighted blanket from my mom.
1: I got one for my wife, and she really? loves it. Twenty pounder. What did wow. you get?
4: I, I don't know how. I, I actually already had one, so now I have two. <laughs> Do um, you use
1: both? So you're twice as relaxed. Tranquillo. Uh,
4: I'm thinking about it. You you are wearing the. Can you pronounce this this the name the words Lose. on this t shirt here that you're wearing? Speaking no, of Tranquillo, los.
1: Ingenobles,
4: los, is that, is that is that your your honest attempt at, at pronouncing that? I really don't know how to say it. Los ingobernables. Ingenobles. Ingobernables.
1: Yeah. See, this is why the podcast got to come to an end. Yes. Is uh, I've already said all the words in the English language, and Brandon continues inventing new ones. Yes. You've
4: gone through every word in the, in the English dictionary, and you have mispronounced each one.
1: I, I don't think I could have butchered anything worse than the way I butchered our opening last week uh, when I defiled the good name of post-wrestling, when I insulted them every he way did. to Tuesday. He did. But I am looking forward. I'm actually going to spend some time with some of the post-wrestling crew uh, while I'm in Japan, seeing uh, all Japan and, and uh, stardom shows along Mr. WH Park and mm-hmm. uh, maybe JoJo. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm looking forward to that and uh, probably hang out with Big Dave while I'm out there.
4: That's right. You and Big Dave are going to gonna go play video games yeah play video games and
1: wear tight t-shirts that's right pachinko is that the name of the popular uh do some pachinko maybe yeah Yeah, that'd be interesting yeah yeah so i'll be out there um looking forward to seeing uh like i said stardom all japan and then of course the new japan show and perhaps we'll do a follow-up show next week about my adventures, uh, depending on which day I get back in the United States, whether right. or not I get held uh, or for
4: autographs or questioning, right. um, whichever it is. Right. So, uh, as uh, Vince McMahon asked Hulk Hogan in 1992, before the big WrestleMania 8 match versus Sid Justice, I want to ask you, is this the last time we record WrestleNomics Radio? Well, brother... I think you're just gonna
1: have to wait and see if another WrestleManiacs are out there. And they wanna they wanted it enough.
4: Okay. Or maybe you'll get signed by WCW and that's re- the real answer yeah, to the question. Who knows?
1: You know. With uh with all these these um all elite wrestling uh, uh announcements coming on January first, next thing you know, we could be just working for them and uh be swooped up in the giant funnel. Perhaps. So what what are we here to talk about today? I think uh the the decided topic, because I did not spend much time this week researching legal updates. I did not spend much time this week uh, reading The Observer. I I did listen to some Observer Radio on the the drive down here, so I got to hear Dave and Brian rant about John Jones mainly. That was most of it. Probably. Um, But yeah, I think we're we're going to talk about instead the history of wrestling timeline, 2014 to present. This was a subject you and I had discussed. Um, I think it came out of your own brain, uh, a Reddit post that you made where you were just saying basically what was the most important things to happen since the OTT service of the WWE network was announced and launched? How has the world of professional wrestling kind of evolved and changed? More from the media standpoint than from any other standpoint. Like we're not going to talk here about, oh well, Anthem bought TNA and so forth and so on. This is more about the what TV shows changed networks, who was able to get coverage, and then what are the implications on the style of what it means to be a professional wrestling organization today if you want to be relevant.
4: Yeah, I think you could um you could have skipped every Wrestleomics episode up to this one, and if you just listened to this one, you would get the gist of it. Um. Yeah, we're mostly going to look at this from a media standpoint. Like you said, we're going to start in 2014 and and go through the present because I think the year 2014 really marks, uh, this is just arbitrary, but I think the year 2014 marks a new era in, in pro wrestling because of the launch of the W network and all the influence that that had. So we've, we've picked out 30 moments from the last, was this this five years or six years? 14, 15, 16. That's three, four, five. The last five years, 30 different moments from the last five years. That were significant. Mostly they are related to media. But we do have some other things in there like Daniel Bryan, but 30 different moments that, uh, defined a great change in, in the wrestling business over the last five years, uh, mostly around digital media, OTT services, video streaming. And, uh, we're, we're going to talk about some differences in the way that talent has, uh, has been uh, thought about in WWE. And then I think we'll hit on some big themes and analysis and then we'll just. We'll show our politics at the very end.
1: And I might might stick my, my uh, two cents in every now and then about legal developments if I can think of how they fit into this I'm, timeline. I'm sure
4: you will. <laughs> uh,
1: but starting it off, uh, 2014. Yes. Uh, 2014, I think the biggest thing that happened was on my birthday. Ooh. Consumer electronic show, in Las Vegas.
4: Yes. We have many audio inserts, by the way.
1: This was the announcement of the WWE Network. This is where we got... Our original documents that said, no, this will not be a traditional television network. This will, in fact, be an over-the-top network. Mm-hmm. This will be launching this year. This will be prior to WWE being able to sign their new TV deal, which, uh, again, uh, ended up with the stock kind of collapsing when they did uh, domestically. Um, and this will be a uh, a completely different way of of destroying their pay-per-view model. Because uh, as we're going to hear here at the CES show, uh, we heard all about what the new WWE Network is going to look like. So, Take it away, Vince.
2: Other than uh, Chairman and CEO of WWE, I've been called, uh, I've been called many things. <laughs> most of them complimentary. But the most complimentary thing I could ever be called is a fan. Vince McMahon is a WWE fan. Today is a great day to be a WWE fan because... Drum roll, please. <laughs> we are announcing the launch of the WWE Network.
4: So that's from the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas on January 9th, 2014. And uh, they're there on that big stage in front of this—I don't know—audience of hundreds or whatever. I think they're wrestling fans. They're kind of reacting like the no, wrestling. No, they were fans. wrestling media. It was all they wrestling were, they media. They were
1: invited there. Well, it was media. Okay. They, they
4: invited regular
1: media. Okay. But it included wrestling media because I, they I were remember cheering, I believe David and Brian uh, got an invite to go down mm-hmm. for the show. But it, there was also a lot of like N gadget and, you know, like traditional yeah. media. Not wrestling media. They wanted to be seen as a media company. They wanted to be seen as like a Silicon Valley type, you know, innovative distribution platform. Mm-hmm. And, and, and again, it's CES. So the, the media is already there. So it was really, it's a launch event. And so people were invited to go. And if I recall, they were even given either, Like, Apple TVs that were, like, branded WWE Network or something. Roku's, I think. Roku's or something like that. Because I remember there was a big argument about whether or not you could use Apple TVs in the beginning and and whether or not that was going to be subscribable. Because that would end up cutting in. And, of course, remember all the things that were happening here. This was not a service that was month to month. This was a six-month guaranteed service when it launched originally. And there was all sorts of – um. I, this is the, the fascinating thing where I always say, if you want to understand WWE, make sure you go back and look at this launch presentation because there is so much information in here about what they thought they were going to do and what they ended up doing and the difference the divergence of those two the the fact that they talked about you know um the first launch is going to be domestic the second launch is going to be like the nordics the third launch will probably be the uk and the fourth will be the rest of the world i think is how it went and the fact that it was 6 month guaranteed you had to stay in it at 999 there'd be a penalty the fact that uh we met our very first of many uh wwe network presidents uh he did a dx skit uh i believe it at that time was uh, that perkins i think that was andrew or perkins uh perkins miller perkins miller who very shortly thereafter went to the nfl and that started then i think matthew singerman came in and then we had lou schwartz and we had anna fox lisa
4: lee fox lot
1: lisa lee fox thank you and then um you know other people and then at one point i got a question in at one of the uh uh the the chats. The Q&As like one said, of the Q and A's, and I said, "You know, who is in charge?" And and George is just like, "We all are."
4: So I I, I gather that uh, Barrios, George Barrios, and Michelle Wilson, who are now co presidents of WB, were, are are basically who are ultimately in charge of the network these days, besides Vince.
1: You know, there, I always think that there's so many more people in, in the WWE structure than we ever give credit to, that there are probably some other people. That's who's overseeing it, I yeah, think. Yeah, I do agree with that. Let's stay, though, on January 9th, and let's hear Michelle Wilson's introduction.
2: WWE Network is the first over-the-top network to offer the best of both worlds. A 24-7 streaming service with live content, and WWE's incomparable video-on-demand library... It's truly an extraordinary offering that's going to include the following. All 12 live WWE pay-per-view events. Yes, even WrestleMania with at no additional charge. As I mentioned, it includes all 12 live WWE pay-per-view events for only 9.99 per month.
1: So two big things there. Number 1, Wrestlemania included, not in a way here that makes you think it's a special one-year deal, but rather in the way that it's that is what the network is. This is very much the, like, you know, you're used to X. We're going to deliver one-tenth the price all of X. This is like when India blew up broadband pricing. This is when, like, Netflix is, is delivering things that just blow cable out of the water. Uh, it, it was unthinkable, you know, movie pass type thing, where, like, it was unthinkable... That it would be like that. Number two, $9.99. The prices that were used in the surveys, if you go back to WWE filings, it, they even say it in the footnotes. We're looking at a service. It's between $11.99 and $14.99, $12.99, and $15.99. No discussion, zero discussion about something that was sub-$10. And, of course, as soon as this launched, we had the, what, Better Than Netflix it's like um, Netflix, but better. Like Netflix, but better hashtag. So it was very clear that they were angling for that $10 mark. And what I always remind people is if you go back to that first presentation, the very lowest scenario was we do a million people. We're not going to have a problem hitting a million domestic. Mm-hmm. Well, in the end, it was 667, 287, I think the day after WrestleMania. Yeah. So it it, it just goes to show you that they vastly underestimated what the initial demand was I'm sorry, they overestimated what the initial demand would be at that price point, even including WrestleMania. And at the same time, they had hundreds of thousands of WrestleMania traditional pay-per-view buys because so many people were concerned that this type of service was unproven yeah. and that they didn't know whether they could rely on an OTT service.
4: Or just I think people were not prepared for the, the friction that that's involved in... Getting an OTT service, especially if it's not one that you're already familiar with, like, like Netflix.
1: And, and there was a lot of launch issues. I mean, I remember on my Xbox 360, it took weeks for the network to work. And I remember day after day after day trying to get it to work and it would not work. And
4: it was very frustrating. Um, like per- personally, I had to buy an Apple TV. Like I didn't own an OTT. S- Device that would get me the network until I went out and bought one. Mm -hmm. So, like, you may have just not owned one, or maybe you can't afford one, or whatever. And again, this was
1: in the era of the six month guaranteed subscription, and so it was very much that things had to stay at $9.99. So that was the network launch on February 24th was the
4: actual launch. And, um, and it's a big surprise, right, that WrestleMania was included in this, by the way. there was there, I think there was a lot of speculation leading up to this. It's like, oh, they'll put the 11 pay-per-views on there maybe, or maybe the the smaller eight pay-per-views. But they're not going to put WrestleMania on there. I, th- that, that, I, that's a point that she's emphasizing here in that clip that we just heard is that, yes, that includes WrestleMania. And I did a show
1: shortly before this where I had done my predictions about price, content, And whatnot, and it was roughly that, except for, and I might have even said maybe WrestleMania will be on there as a temporary thing. But I don't think the big four are going to be part of this. I think it's going to be a tiered thing or it's going to be left off. And so it was a shock. What was shocking to me, though, was the fact that networks were taken by surprise by this. Allegedly, some of the major networks like USA Network and, and whatnot were not expecting this. And they were very upset because they suddenly realized, like NBCU, was going to lose a lot of pay-per-view revenue that they'd been splitting with WWE. And they were now uh, uh, hurt going into their negotiations for this domestic TV rights deal. And part of me said... Well, the writing was on the wall. George Berrios gave a UBS talk in December of 2013 where he laid out a lot of this. This was not a shock shock. We knew it was going to be an over-the-top service and things at this point.
4: WWE and NBCU are are sharing, I guess, Comcast because Comcast owns NBCU and and Comcast provides pay-per-view. Okay. So
1: the alleged thing is that they were shocked. And I remember being able to be like, no, I laid out 90% of this already. Based on talks and networks and things to make it pretty clear where we were going on this. So it, I, I was surprised by bits of it, but not all of it. Uh, so that was interesting. Um, little known fact, I believe Royal Rumble that year was actually on the WWE Network. Now, you didn't watch it on the WWE Network, but oh, I right, believe right. they did a beta test, yeah. for certain people that were, like, behind the scenes yeah. to, like, test it out on different services. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did once hear from somebody saying, like, that they had watched pre-launch WWE Network kind of, like, uh, a test stream to make sure that they could get a pay-per-view up and running. So, as, as much as we say that the NXT event was the first real test of the WWE Network... In theory, the Royal Rumble really was just—it was an even smaller test
4: mm-hmm. for for people who had special access. So, so we are. Let's see here. We're 18 minutes in, and we got we got one one moment down. Well, uh, I think uh, it was a 29 big to go. go. Yes, <laughs> moment number two, Brandon. Yes, Is is the first ever co-branded Ring of Honor in New Japan uh shows in North America uh, on May 10th and May 17th in Toronto and New York City respectively. So now this is the first real uh you know foray into Ring of Honor and New Japan having this alliance and I think it leads to uh now remember New Japan World has has not launched yet. We'll get to that in a, in a little while. Uh that's later in this year 2014, but this is really I, I think what Ustream is out there, people are watching New Japan through something called Ustream, which is mm-hmm. basically this internet pay-per-view service. People are starting to become a little more aware of New Japan. Tanahashi and Okada are, are, are really starting to get going at this point. And this is uh, just a, a, a way for, I think, more Western fans and North American fans to get better acquainted with New Japan, which will become more important as our timeline goes on.
1: Yeah, and I would even argue that this plays a huge role in the development of Ring of Honor, is that... Over this period of time that we're going to talk here, Ring of Honor becomes synonymous with New Japan talent being involved at the biggest moments. And in a certain sense, the brand identity of Ring of Honor begins to deteriorate because of their inability to completely differentiate themselves as a standalone service such that it it kind of becomes this thing of, well, I don't want Ring of Honor, but I do want when Ring of Honor has the New Japan guys on it. Right.
4: Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah, I, 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 agree. Uh, and I think we're, they're at the point now where it's like, you know, a lot of New Japan, when the, when there are New Japan versus Ring of Honor matches, it's New, New Japan talent and Ring of Honor talent and New, New Japan guys win. Or, I don't know, I think of like subtle things like Tomohiro Ishii winning the, the ROH TV title and him being like, I don't know what this is that I've won, but, you know. Yeah. So, uh, August of that year,
1: this is not one of our moments, but I'll just remind people, August of that year, Panic Switch gets bu- blasted. This is going when, rogue and in, this ju- is when the WWE extra, Network extra
4: to my timeline. completely
1: implodes in the sense that they say, okay, you know what? We're not going to do six-month guaranteed pricing, mm-hmm. and we're going to roll out rest-of-the-world pricing immediately, and we are going to uh, chop the WWE workforce down. We're going to kill the magazine division. We are going to uh, 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 add a a, um, uh, a non-subscription tier for WWE Network, which very quickly goes away as well. Uh, actually, no, I think that had already been introduced, and that already gets discontinued by this point in August. Because uh, it, originally it was nine ninety nine if you want to do six months, mm-hmm. and then they they made like a fifteen ninety nine if you want to do just one month, and then or twelve ninety nine or something, and then they 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 announced it in august they're like okay we're killing the, all of that we're collapsing yeah. it down just to one tier it's 9.99 and we're going global and if you're in the rest of the world you can start getting it and we're going to start rolling it out right. as many countries as we can
4: there's no uk launch yet that doesn't come until december
1: yeah and again that was partially deal due to the sky deal so I, I i add that in as a footnote just to say that's to me that's all part of the wwe network launch story is one moment there is the january the february the march and i'm sorry the april and the august are the four big dates that month um but coming up in november of that year uh we had our our next big
4: moment so in on november 6th smackdown which was on site which was on sci-fi at the time moves to thursday night off of friday so after being on friday for what almost 10 years was it friday night smackdown I mean, originally on
1: Thursday, right
4: originally, back in the day. Originally, yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, for, for quite some time it had been there.
4: And it it, it was obviously a... Um, so why did this happen? This was sci-fi trying to bump up the ratings. Friday's not a good night for TV. They tried. were trying to move them back to Thursday to improve viewership.
1: Yeah, and I think it also was a sign of basically USA Network having control of the reins, right? Because during this last renewal process, WWE re-signed with USA Network. Yeah. But at the same time, they didn't have enough suitors to really go out there and find a lot more money. Uh, they got more money. They got one and a half times their AAV but uh, people were expecting 2X, 3X it's the famous hammerlock comment from Vince if if you can put me in a hammerlock if we don't get that Mm -hmm. Uh, they're throwing out you know the NASCAR rights and the NBA rights and they were telling everybody we're worth so much more money of course we're going to get it Mm -hmm. and so it was a real shock to people that they didn't do nearly as well as they thought they would and so to me this was also just a sign that you know WWE was going to get pushed around by USA Network to do what they wanted and in this case sci-fi and yes they could maybe leverage it up a little bit but this is also a little bit of the lame duck era of 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 smackdown uh, because we're really done with a brand split at this point
4: yeah The brand split doesn't come back for a couple more years which we'll get to so i, I always think like I've, I've done some articles about like trying to analyze how was was launching the WWE network in the way that they launched it when they launched it was that a good business decision is that more economically beneficial to WWE than it, than it would have been if they kept pay-per-view. And I think one of the things that we need to, to keep in mind when we make a calculation like that is, like, how much did launching the WWE Network in February 2014 affect TV rights? Apparently, it did quite a bit. And, you know, we, we don't know what, would they, what would they would have gotten if they hadn't launched the WWE the Network at that time. Maybe if they would have waited until the following year, until their TV rights deals were done.
1: George had an interesting comment at the UBS conference recently where he talked about how they were very leading edge when they did the WWE Network launch and that there was a certain adoption curve that they wanted to jump into technology at. And I think it was something like 80% is what they, he was saying, where he was saying, I want to get involved in a technology when 80% of the people can, can get it. And that's when you want to be part of what's happening. I think maybe he was talking about India or somewhere else, but it was just this idea of saying, you know, you don't want to be the first one there because then no one knows what you are. No one has the technology to get you your laser disc, uh, and, and only Mookie collects you. But, uh, you know, you don't want to be too far in the front and you, of course, don't want to be the last one to launch your own
4: streaming multi-tiered sports service. What's, what's the technology that, that's being, a, that has to be adopted at 80% in this case? broadband video, I think video I think streaming? it would be OTT streaming access and but does it. even 80% of, of the the country right now subscribe to some OTT service? No, but access. Access, I think. So we're, so right. then broadband.
1: Broadband plus I would argue it it has also to do with the technology you can watch it on. The TV that you exactly. have the ability have sort of to TV, get it to your television smart without TV you needing or to have a device.
4: Equipment. Okay.
1: You know, uh or something. But I I just bring that up um Partially for the next moment that we have on, going on here, which is on December 1st.
4: On December 1st, not just W Network is out there, but now NJPW World launches. And uh, it's, it's only in Japanese when it's just still basically... Uh, I guess they have this English version now. But NJPW World launches for 9.99 yen. And now anybody around the world can watch New Japan live on their computer... Or however you can get it connected to your to your TV it's still a little bit hard for me but you can watch new Japan live no more tape trading no more trading laser discs
1: and access started showing new Japan in 2014 I just I just looked it up to see when they started so it wasn't what's on here
4: uh January 16th is the first new Japan show on access
1: oh January of 2015
4: what, what are you looking at
1: Oh, uh, uh, Wikipedia said it started in 2014. I
4: yeah, so I, I saw that, but I, I, f- I dug up like some reviews. Like I, I went through Voices of Wrestling and I found the first review of an Access show, and it was this January 16 show okay. on, on Access where they they aired the 2013 Wrestle Kingdom Tanahashi Okada match.
1: Gotcha. So that that's kind of the big thing to me is that's a one two punch: is that New Japan launches a a streaming service. And it's, it's really a,
4: a, a three three punches here. Okay, because they do uh Wrestle Kingdom of of 2015 on pay per view, which which you, which you added, asked me to add to the timeline right before we started recording.
1: Exactly. So so you're right. So they they launch an OTT service. They price it at 9.99 yen. Pretty obvious that they're they're really pegging that 9.99 for the for the uh, which is about WWE ten dollars. It's like eight eight nine dollars US. Exactly. So that that's interesting in itself. Uh, Number two, they kind of lead the idea of saying, we think this is important to have uh, a streaming service. And in a way, it's a huge investment for them to kind of be able to put such an interesting archive up there. And in some ways, even deeper than the WWE archive in terms of what is suddenly available that previously was not completely available. Though you could argue with WWE having all of the old WCW, having all of the ECW, having all the things that they, they were able to kind of give you digitally for the very first time, or at least for the first accessible time for many people, mm-hmm. that was a big deal. But it, it's intriguing. I think one thing that really stands out in that initial launch of New Japan World is they probably did not realize they were going to be as internationally popular as they were. And I'd argue that really comes over the next two years here, where suddenly there's all these clues that if New Japan wants to be really successful, international growth is going to play a, a significant role In their ability to penetrate the marketplace and be relevant,
4: and and somewhere in this October of 2014, one Harold May was standing in a in a uh, an executive office at some toy company, just rubbing his hands together, waiting for his opportunity to come in a few years. Uh, Let's let's go to Christmas Eve, Mm -hmm. the final episode of Impact Wrestling on Spike TV. Now
1: that is what happened. That that's the one where, like, I think that's shocking to people to remember that. It was less than five years ago where Impact, TNA Impact, still at the time. It's still TNA. Still TNA was airing on Spike TV.
4: Yeah. And, and I think the important thing to denote here is Spike TV is in a lot of homes. They're, they're paramount now, but Spike TV was in 80, 90 million homes comparable to the USA network. And I would argue, I don't know this for a fact, but I would argue Impact's television deal
1: was the highest television deal domestically for a wrestling program outside of wwe i i would be surprised if anyone has ever made more even wcw i don't even think wcw was probably paid as much to
4: actually broadcast their shows and and what do you think like in an alternate universe where tna i don't know puts on a better product and and vince russo things don't happen that they would be due for some some increases in tv rights just as WWE has been
1: yeah I think that would be one of the biggest
4: takeaways there. Uh, the fact this, that this would they, be a, a very different wrestling world if that were the case.
1: Yeah, and i I think the other half of that though is it's all dependent on the concept that Dixie Carter is not so ingrained in the DNA of the company that there's no ability to untangle her because everything I've always heard is whether it was um country music star Toby Keith, whether it was NASCAR driver Hermie Sadler whether it was Billy Corgan, mm-hmm. everybody who got involved with TNA basically said, I'm interested in this, but I don't want the Carter baggage. I want to be able to run this. I don't want to give an executive position to this lady. I would like to run this like my own company. And when that was not able to be granted, people said, you know what? I don't need this. I am successful in my own right. I don't need to burn money to give a, a paper position to someone who who doesn't need to have it, who is weighing down the company. So there is that argument that says the Russo thing never killed them. The stubbornness of Carter's killed them, and Russo was a symptom
4: of that. Did you remember the Russo story that happened earlier in this summer? Do you know that story? do I need to recount it. So uh, Vince Russo was not supposed to be involved with TNA anymore. I think at the request of Spike executives, but he was secretly still involved, and he he outed himself by accidentally... Emailing Mike Johnson when he meant to be emailing Mike Tanay or something. Yes, exactly. And then, so, so there, so then Mike Johnson reported on it. Yeah. Spike TV found out. Yeah. Not happy.
1: And, and I think in that case, it was a final straw sort of situation where you, again, I wouldn't argue that was the reason they got canceled. I'd argue that's the reason they didn't get renewed. I'd argue that that's endemic of all the other issues that they had at the time. Yeah. So, so, but it's, it's says a lot because after this impact basically drops. Time and time and time again, almost by almost 50% each time, the viewership opportunity in the number of homes they're getting at and the number of, of viewers that they're getting for their show. You know, They had more than, I think, a million viewers when they were on impact.
4: I think their peak is def- definitely for that January 4, 2010 episode with, with Hogan debuting and all that. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's Hogan, right? Um, but they go to Destination America after this. Destination America, I think, is, is in... 40-some, 40 48 yeah. or so say, homes. say about
1: half the number of homes that and, Spike
4: was in. And Pop is in more, but but Pop is just a less high-profile yeah. network, so their their viewership continued to diminish over time.
1: Yeah, and uh, you have one more thing here, and it's one of your favorite talking points. Yes. It's the poll of Beck on talent changes. You just wrote late 2014 because we, we, we're we struggling to remember exactly when this happened, but this mm-hmm. was one of those conference calls.
4: Okay, well, we're going to get into a number of different different, you know, Get, get ready. Strap yourself in here. because We're going to get into a few different audio clips here. I think, so we've talked about a lot of new media stuff and TV deals and streaming services, but I think one of the other key stories over these five years has been the way that WWE has changed its view on talent and how it's changed its relationship with independent promotions and independent wrestlers. And I think this, this is pretty evident from the audio clips we're about to hear. So when, when, NXT started doing these takeovers, right? They did the first one in February, 2014. And the first one is we're going to play with, so Triple H does these, these conference calls with wrestling media and, and other media members and they end up getting online and everything. So that, and that's what they're there for. So the first one is the first, first event that's publicly available on the W network. And he does this, this call and someone asks him about, you know, How how the talent development system has changed over time. Now that he's in charge, so we'll listen to that now.
3: We had to grow. That system had to grow. You know, it was one of the things when I first kind of got in, and and Vince was, you know, talking to me about taking a bigger role in the office and coming in and doing all that. It's the things that I looked around at the most, and I thought, like, we do all this amazing stuff as a company. We're so big, so global, so all these things, but we're not setting ourselves up for the future. You know the the indie scene is becomes less and less of a factor all the time. It just does. That's it is. It's what it is. And um, you know you're you're having to create the talent. They're not out there ready to just get picked. And and even sometimes the guys in the indies, um, you know, that you can look at it and people can make the argument. Well, well, you know, WWE just tries to morph them into what they want. Yeah. No. Right. Yeah. We want you to run our playbook. You play for another team, you run their playbook. When you come play for us, we want you to run our playbook because we feel like we know what is we can be successful, right? And whether people want to have that debate or whether that's right or wrong, go ahead. But we expect people to run our playbook. Sometimes it's really hard to get people out of, they've been doing a playbook for eight years, to get them to come over to ours. It's it's a tough transition. Um, sometimes it's easier to almost teach guys from day one to just do that playbook. And, and so we look for talent from everywhere, but... The, the The fact to me that we just didn't have a system that was equivalent to what we were as a company the 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 company the w w e had evolved and the developmental system had just kind of stayed what it was, not bad, just stayed what it was, and we just took it and and massively ramped it up and got it up to speed and
4: so Remember, the Performance Center has just launched in July 2013. And I think that's Triple H, you know, making the case that, you know, we're, we're WWE, we're this big company, but we don't have any sort of big, wonderful training facility to introduce talent you know, in, into the main roster with. And up to that point, of course, there's been OVW and there's been Deep South and there's been FCW and those have, and they've kind of outsourced their development. And now for the first time, WWE is really taking it on their own to develop the talent themselves and to train the talent themselves more directly than ever.
1: Though It is kind of funny when I was thinking about it, like The Shield. You know when The Shield debuted on television for WWE main roster? Survivor Series 2012. Mm -hmm. So they came through the FCW system, Mm -hmm. and they came up and they were ready. And you could argue that if you look at today, some of the biggest stars you have there, Mm -hmm. all three members of The Shield are near the top of that list of Mm -hmm. guys that have gone from... WWE developmental into main roster top drawing positions, Mm -hmm. and and it's just interesting to me because you'd be like that's actually old model that you can't count that as a performance center success that that's indie guys for the most part moving into developmental moving into main roster and so
4: interesting is now two of the three of those had significant exactly
1: as most part for the most part that's why I'm saying. And then that's now intriguing that like now we're going to the performance center era. And you could argue that the incubation time is roughly five years. Where I would say for 2019 onwards, you got to count the performance center as a success or a failure. There's no more stalling. Mm -hmm. You can't continue to just say, well, well, well. No, you got to start really making decisions. And there are people who have come through brand new, not wrestled before, the Baron Corbins of the world who moved through that, went up, they're done, they're on television now, they have their own persona and their own thing. There have been stars made, Obviously, Charlotte, there have been stars made, there have been stars remade, and there's been stars imported. You know, Samoa Joe, Nakamura, and Asuka all knew how to wrestle before they showed up there. Mm -hmm. But they got over in NXT, and that helped them a lot for their ability to get into the main roster as well. Okay.
4: I, th- I think one of the most important things he says here that I want to keep in mind is because we have a couple more Triple H conference call clips to go through. Uh, is that he says that, you know, the talent is not just there out on the Indies ready to get picked. The, the Indies, the talent in the Indies becomes less and less of a factor all the time. Mm-hmm. They just do. And I, I, I've heard it speculated that he's maybe like referring to, uh, Chris Hero Cassius Ono when he says you know guys come in here and they've worked the indies for many years and then they they have their playbook that they run, See, want to run. but I was thinking Rollins
1: because Rollins be.
4: famously yeah. like butted okay. heads with Triple H
1: and FCW and was told like
4: a mm-hmm. get with the program or get going. But by, by by 2014 though he's somebody who's on the main roster and doing he well. Is, but
1: but as an example of a guy who came in had a long had had a good five years on the indies yeah. prior to that and then might have been a little difficult. And same with Ambrose for all we know. Mm-hmm. You know, could have also been a guy that, you know, would have thought he knows what he's doing. And, you know, but yeah, you're right. Hero would be another one. And Hero, in fact, left the system and came back to the
4: system. Right. But I think that the argument that Triple H is just just laying out there in the audio clip that we just heard is like, this is why we need the performance center. The indies aren't going to do it for us, guys. We need the the performance center to create these people from scratch.
1: I I would, though, say part of his argument is WWE is too big of a company not to have a top shelf. Developmental Center. Yeah. And his belief, and we see this reflected in today, is that no NFL star is going to say, Yeah, "Yeah, let me go to the Indies and learn how to wrestle. They want someone to say, Here's where we're going to teach you. Here's who's going to teach you. And here's how you know you're going to be clean, you're going to be safe, and you're going to have experts.
4: We're not going to send you to a warehouse in Kentucky. Yeah. or, Or a warehouse in Connecticut. Right. Like they used to with tracks. Yeah. So about a year later, Let's see. This is May 2015.
3: You know, it's funny. Sometimes people will say, um, you know, there, there's this big comparison of like, oh, they, this guy's an indie guy. This guy didn't have experience. I don't care where people come from or, yeah, indie guys are great because they, they have experience. Whether I agree with their style or or anybody does, it's irrelevant. They have experience in front of crowds, and, and that is something that you can't teach. Um As we bring in new talent, we need to give them that experience because it is the way they learn to really put into into use what we teach them.
4: Yeah. So all of a sudden, Triple H really values NDIs and and values the experience that they have. I think something happened in late twenty fourteen, and that's why I've put it here, is that I think something happened around the time that they bring in and debut Finn Balor. Hideo Atami and Kevin Owens, which all happens on that, I believe that December show in 2014, the NXT takeover. And, uh, it, I, I think right around then something happened and maybe it's partly the, the reactions in Full Sail and maybe it's partly, I don't know, the influence of William Regal that they start to have, Triple H, who's ultimately the one in charge of the talent development here, uh, they, he starts to have more appreciation for what's happening on the indies and what's happening outside of WWE and how, how ready those people are to contribute to at least NXT. And we got one other clip from this very same conference call. Uh, and and here in uh, May. go ahead,
1: Sami Zayn too would be another big star to be launching around that time too.
3: And Ring of Honor management has said that uh, they view NXT touring as a threat to their own touring business, and obviously you over the years have signed some of their former talent. So I'm kind of curious to know how you view that promotion, considering so many of today's WWE and NXT. Uh, talent. Everybody has come through there. Is it straight up competition, or do you see a need for them? Maybe even as a feeder system for you, indirectly. Um, I, you know, I, I love all those guys. Uh, you know, Ring of Honor, uh, just Dragons Gate. You know, we've we, we've we've got a lot of talent that have gone through there over the years. They've gone through a lot of places over the years. Um, I'm not trying to make NXT a direct competition to anybody, and um, I'm, I'm just trying to make the best brand and the best um, roster I can. And you know, I, I'm I'm a believer in that the the high water raises all ships. And if it's good, if if WWE's business grows, if NXT's business grows, it means, in my mind. Ring of Honor's business will grow, and everybody else's business will grow because it just raises the interest in what we do inside the ring. And um, you know, I, I it's it, it, I I don't want anybody to look at it as like I'm I'm trying to hurt their business, and not at all. I'd love to help their business and help them grow and support them. You know, and. Um, I'm, I'm not looking to put anybody out of business. I'm not looking to, to strong arm anybody. I'm, if there's a talent out there that I can give an opportunity for something better, great. And if, if, if their business increases, great.
4: So for the first time now, NXT is not just doing a Florida loop, but they're doing a national tour and they're, they're touring around the U S and Canada and eventually even into, into Europe. So that's triple H just saying, Hey, look, we're not trying to, I, th- I think we're, NXT begins to occupy this space that that whether it's intentional or not that I would I would say it's like you know there's there's major promotions underneath WB but but they're bigger than Super Indies and Ring of Honor is definitely one of them and I think NXT starts to occupy this space of like a, a mid-major promotion uh, and it starts to go to venues where they're trying to draw a thousand or a few thousand people and that's Triple H saying, we are not competition. Don't worry. Don't worry about us. Everything we're doing is benign.
1: And It's it's intriguing for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, the payroll of NXT. It does not stand alone. It is treated as a corporate and other expenses, treated as a developmental expense. But what's intriguing about it is that they can actually turn some, I wouldn't say some profit, but some revenue on it. Because they are able to sell merchandise. They are able to have Semi-successful tours. Um, you, I don't know exactly the cost of booking some of these buildings. I would definitely say the biggest NXT shows that, you know, when you can sell at the Barclays, yeah, you're making money on that. But does it actually subsidize the rest of the entire shows for all the other weeks? Probably not. But um, it's intriguing. It's it's very intriguing. And secondly, I'll say that Jason Powell has the best radio voice in my mind yeah. of anyone. That in, was Jason
4: Powell from ProWrestling.net.
1: Uh, Minnesota's own. Uh, Jason Powell, They're very close to where my wife lives in Lionel Lakes. Uh, Jason, I think is in Hugo, mm. which is just a uh, hop, skip, and the jump. Uh, also near where they sell gummy gummy bear bratwurst, a uh, oh very famous uh, meat store up there. Wow. So you have the trifecta: you have Mookie, you have Wade, and you have Jason Powell up there. And so we could have a hell of a a broadcaster forum. Mm-hmm. Uh, pro, maybe we'll have the first like pro wrestling media uh
4: uh uh convention kin- symposium oh symposium uh and and with the, those guys there yeah so that that was may 2015 uh what has just happened is to, there wasn't an NXT takeover at a major arena but there was on Re- at WrestleMania weekend which you were present for was, there was a big NXT I don't know house show in yeah. front of thousands of people the biggest San act.
1: Jose State or San uh was it San Cal what was it it was it was like this big lot of 4000 seat arena i sat in the Very last row with uh, Jeff Hawkins from Shake Them Ropes Mm -hmm. and my wife, Uh, and uh, we watched a very good uh, show, and apparently it really opened up uh, uh, Vince McMahon's eyes. Vince McMahon was there in person. Yeah, and Charlotte had a hell of a match with um, Sasha. Sasha, and they tore the house down in the main event. Yeah. Actually, I don't remember if it was a main event or not. But, uh, they tore the house down and almost everyone watching it said, Oh, that was the best match of the night.
4: Right. And I I think that has some influence on what what ends up happening with women's wrestling in WWE, which we'll get to as well. Uh, but yeah, this, this show, I I know there's like a clip of Triple H like holding up his, his iPhone to his face and saying, developmental my ass. (laughs) And, uh, you know, so this really marks the launch of NXT becoming this third brand, not just developmental. Maybe it is Triple H's playground to some extent, but it, it becomes this third brand, as they say, besides SmackDown. Uh, so we'll do one more Triple H conference call clip. Now this is fast-forwarding to December of 2015, the end of this year. And by now, the NXT TakeOver in Brooklyn has happened, and uh, it, Triple H, noted fan of Ring of Honor and Dragon's Gate and all those guys, now he, he really values the independent undercurrent, as he calls it, of professional wrestling.
3: I am, uh, I am wide open to finding talent wherever talent are and by talent, I mean, guys that have been doing this for years and uh, other times I buy talent. I mean, finding the guy that while sometimes I think fans look down on them because they didn't necessarily find their way here immediately, um, it doesn't change their passion for it once they get into it and everybody started from nothing and got where they get or got to where they're going. You know, um, you know, I am, I'm well aware to, as you, you mentioned Regal. Um, it's something that, that, that is a lot of times other than pleasantries because we've known each other for so long, uh, 90% of our conversations involve, um, those promotions that you just mentioned, you know, they, they were, we're looking at tapes where uh, he's pointing out guys, he's seeing what he sees. Um, I to, to me, those uh, I, I've used the term before the, uh, the undercurrent, the internet uh, independent undercurrent of the business. It, that it's vital to me. I can't, it's, it's vital to everyone. I can't or or we can't expect everybody in the world that wants to be in this industry to learn how to do what we do solely based on the performance center. Um, it would be ridiculous for me to think that. And I want to take the best guys that I think the best have the best chance of success and in some way um, teach them, you know, our system and, and what we do. And, and there's so much more to it than just stepping in the ring and um, – I think having those talent, like the people that you mentioned, go out to Progress, to Rev Pro, to ICW, to whether to, or New Japan, or to uh, Evolve here in the states, and and getting getting that experience, getting that time, uh, you know, learning their craft and and taking the time. This business takes a long time to learn right, so all those places to me are essential. Um, I I hope to have you know in some way relationships with the ones that do business in the right way. And in a, mm-hmm. I don't mean a similar way in the product that you see necessarily at all times, but in a similar mindset to what I would consider to be the correct way and, and the, the right um, mindset for the business. And if they do, then I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm open to having working relationships with them and, and having conversations with them and, and, you know,
4: All of it. So in the course of two years, Triple H talks about how the, you know, the indies become less and less of a factor all the time. And now, uh, almost two years later, he's saying that the independent undercurrent is vital and the, the, you can't just rely on the performance center alone to do what he does.
1: Brandon, gotcha media
4: Thurston. And it's not, I'm not raising this so much to say gotcha. See, you said one thing and now you're saying something that contradicts it, but just, if nothing else, just to point out that the, the view on talent in WWE has changed over those yeah. two years quite yeah. a bit. I, I remember like we were starting to do some training at the time, and I remember like trying to give people advice about, you know, oh, you really want to make it to WWE someday? Well, I don't know. The, the best way, honestly, would be to go to college and become an amazing college athlete, and then you know try to get in the performance center that way. And that has totally changed over over these those two years, 2014 and 15. Now, well, Brad- now Brandon, you can come guy.
1: You were an amateur
4: wrestler, right? I I did some method acting as an amateur wrestler.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, wasn't that was that part of your inspiration to be a pro wrestler? Did you amateur wrestle wrestle knowing that that would help you with uh Jerry Briscoe?
4: No, no, it was it was more. Be, it was 2007, and uh, one of my local shows was named Juiced, and this was months after Chris Benoit uh, killed his family and himself, and uh, I was like, I'll just I'll just do amateur wrestling for a while here. Got it. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, no, uh, but you're right. You're right. That I think. Um, A, I think it marks in some ways the education of Triple H because you do get the sense from him that he has been forced to recognize that the talent depth was very much outside the radius that he was used to being exposed to. Two, same thing Cody Rhodes said when he first went to a PWG show. He said, oh my God, I can't believe all these guys are here. I didn't know this existed and you'd think oh it's pwg everyone knows that and be like no there's a lot of people who live in a bubble where they don't know this exists because especially if you're in wwe you're on the road 52 weeks a year you're touring you're doing you know you're doing four or five shows a week uh and you're traveling and then you don't necessarily have an appetite to sit there and say i want to watch more wrestling now there are the Cesaros and the Chris heroes and the, the people out there who uh, Daniel Bryan who obsess about this stuff and they consume it like Mad Men. But there are people who come into it and then they, for whatever reason, they, uh, they, they absorb it in a different way. Some of them aren't interested in seeing what other people do because they're afraid they'll steal it. Some are just not interested because they're around it all day and they just want to go home and see their family. Some of them aren't really that passionate about professional wrestling outside of what it is that they're doing in their own lives. And I I could be accused of this too sometimes where I can say, you know what, I've got a job. I go and do my job and then I don't necessarily sit there and think, oh, I got to catch up on this this and this and this and this and this in my free time. So I can understand how some people take it differently. But yeah, I I really, you get the sense here that triple H really had an education about a, how difficult it is to turn someone in to a super athlete, how many people they might've signed for some high money and kind of burned themselves out on. And also whether or not they're, they're heads of talent development. You know, what we're not talking about in here is kind of all the different people who were going through the heads of talent development. When you had, you had the Canon Canyon Seaman, you had a, uh, a, uh, uh, you had the Jane Geddes, you had uh the Mark Carano, you had a lot of different people and their vision of what uh, uh Lorenitos. You had a lot of different people whose vision it was of what professional wrestling should look like and who do you hire and what kind of person do you bring in?
4: Yeah, and Kenny Seaman and Mark Carano are still involved in talent relations. Yeah, but they've moved around. I'm saying yeah. To be- I, I don't know what John Lorenitos does with WWE now. He did, he has a job there. Yeah, I'm
1: sure it's it's another office job or something. You know, I I, I imagine there's a lot of talent relation roles Mm -hmm. you know out there really when you think about it but you know even jerry briscoe has a talent
4: relation role of some sort yeah he goes to wrestling tournaments and sends them them notes
1: yeah apparently so let's get back on our timeline maybe
4: yes so that so that was all i just wanted to encompass that all at the end of 2014 because that's kind of where it starts so
1: did you have to listen to all those conference calls just to pull those triple h quotes out
4: i i I, I found the, the clips I skipped around and I found them. I did not listen to them in their You're entirety. cardio the whole time? No, I was just sitting right here at the desk. Oh, man. So now we're entering the year of 2015. We're, we are now one-fifth through this show. Yep. We're an hour in. Yep. January 4th, Russell
1: Kingdom 9 is available on on traditional U.S. pay-per-view. Uh, JR on commentary. I, I thought this was a really relevant thing because it really speaks to the uh, ascendance of New Japan and the recognition by New Japan, kind of with their own hand being forced by U.S. players, to say, oh my gosh, there's a foreign market that is very interested in consuming your product. What you need to do is make it accessible to them, and make it um, interesting to them in a way that is is relevant. And you can argue back and forth whether or not you think JR is the right voice for New Japan. But I think at the very least, what you're doing is you're bringing a very credible expert on professional wrestling to a mainstream audience and you're presenting it to them and saying this is New Japan wrestling and it did much better than people thought and it was really kind of a um a sour note at the time that it wasn't replicated for quite some time this year fight i believe is going to be showing wrestle kingdom and i've had a lot of people say what why is fight going to bother doing that and my answer to them is always the same well new japan's not on roku while other things like Fight is. And so that's going to draw on some people. Plus, Fight has a whole credit system where you can get credits for things that do this and that. And I do think that plays a role, too, because if you've bought other credits, you might be spending them on on something like the New Japan show.
4: Yeah, I, th- I think Jim Ross, he his podcast is pretty strong at the time. I don't know what his numbers are like uh, now, but it seemed like his podcast had a lot of attention to it. And just that that person being able to promote the show, I think, put a greater spotlight on new japan as we talked about a little while ago right they're already starting to forge this relationship with the ring of honor and run co-branded shows in the u.s and canada with ring of honor and this is just another step uh, of course this was all uh provided by the the great double j jeff jarrett and his uh his gfw it is
1: and it just goes to speak to some of the challenges a company like AEW is going to have starting up it's not that we haven't had people say i'm going to start up a wrestling company i'm going to take talent and i'm going to get a tv deal but the problem is people haven't been able to pull that off and so that's that's a that's a very difficult thing to do when we saw it all the way back with the global force wrestling uh, uh global wrestling force or whatever it was global called. force wrestling yeah and and um January 7th, so just a few days after that, mm-hmm. they've left Spike and they've landed on Destination America. I think most of us had never heard of the Destination America channel, channel at this time. We were unfamiliar with what it was like to watch a, sh- a channel completely composed of Bigfoot and, and uh, uh, ghost hunting shows.
4: But there they are in Destination America. Soon to be joined by another wrestling company we'll talk about them in a moment.
1: January 16th, New Japan moves to Access. Yes. Uh, I shouldn't say moves. Uh, it really debuts in Access. And again, Access in about half the U.S. homes. Uh, I just discovered it's it's available in this market. It's not available where I am. But it's available in this market because my father, in the middle of a game of Euchre, uh, uh, comes and starts waving his hands. And I come over and he's watching Kenny Omega. And uh, is it? okada from um uh maybe the osaka
4: dome show there's been many matches yeah but i
1: think it was this year's okay match uh that was playing on access at the Osaka joe hall and it was very funny because my father had never he was just like look at this look at this this is happening and i
4: was like yes dad that's kenny omega that's that's uh okada you know you know i just thought of and robert rodriguez who's probably listening to the show right now angrily you know shouting at, at his at his uh smartphone uh, we've left out in September 2014, Lucha Underground debuts on L Ray, and now Good so point. so we got El- Lucha Underground on L Ray, New Japan on Access, Impact Wrestling on Destination America, soon to be joined by Ring of Honor, and of course WWE all over, NBC Universal stations. That's five different wrestling products.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and 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 different visions of wrestling. Yeah, Lucha Underground, very interesting conception. Uh, kind of the the final is T is AAA going to actually tour the U.S incarnation and again kind of this bizarre incarnation the better you understand robert rodriguez the the better you will understand lucha underground in my opinion uh, i had i had the joy this year of watching um not not bordello of blood what's the um uh other movie i'm thinking of sin city no no um that's where my, my movie dust to my dawn hands. oh okay uh with my wife on Laserdisc. On Laserdisc, of course. We're, we're watching, you know, George Clooney and, and Quentin Tarantino and everyone there at the bar. My wife has no idea what the movie's about. So she just thinks it is this straight movie the way it is. And then the vampires come out. And she, like, gasped because she had no idea that was coming at that I've point. I've never
4: seen it, but I, you know, I've
1: yeah. heard a little bit about it. And so it was hilarious. But to me... That movie is a, a great little synopsis of what El Rey Lucha Underground is like, because it's this idea of saying, what if we take what you know here, but we're going to infuse the supernatural undead element into it and make it kind of very, very heavy Mexican themes and very heavy supernatural themes and and whatnot. And so, yeah, it was, it was an interesting incarnation of wrestling and in some ways kind of creating a different reality and arguing whether or not wrestling fans will want to see this, whether they're interested in it.
4: Yep. So, Impact on, on Destination America, New Japan and Access, they debut with the Tanahashi Okada match from Wrestle Kingdom 2013, commentary by Josh Barnett and Murro Ronaldo. Yep. Uh, so then moving on to now Ring of Honor, in June, June 3rd, Ring of Honor debuts on Destination America for a 26 week run. So just,
1: and I feel like that was announced ahead of time. Like it was very clear that we knew it was going to have like a 26 week run. Like we didn't, we knew it wasn't going to be forever. I think so. I just think that's interesting because most of the time you don't hear, I'm going to put it on for half a year.
4: Yeah. So Bring of Honor is already, we didn't even mention that that would be like the sixth promotion if you have a Sinclair station in your area. Oh, I guess I did count that because I was counting Ring of Honor, Destination America. But yeah, so Bring of Honor is, is broadcast all over the country in various markets, not complete coverage, but a lot of markets in the U.S. through all its Sinclair channels here in Buffalo. It's on Fox 29.
1: Yeah. So, and, and, and this was the famous moment when I, I uh, saw a picture of Dalton Castle, and I tweeted out something like, who the hell is this, or why the hell would you make this your your promo picture? And someone immediately tweeted me back and was like, you know, that's Rody And I suddenly realized that this was the same guy that I had wrestled with and known mm-hmm. uh, a good decade earlier, and now was one of the top stars. And now you're and, burying him on Twitter. And I had buried him on Twitter, and I immediately regretted this yes. uh, because I, I really didn't, at the time understand how great uh the, ca- the character was and was getting over and and how interesting it was in the wrestling uh, era of the time and also just knowing the wrestler a little bit too, be, be saying always oh, a nice guy he's, he's always very genuine and very interesting and also how legitimately strong he was so strong and and that was kind of a have you wrestled dalton yes and and, times. and did he uh do the uh, release germans on you
4: I think he de- yeah, he deadlift German to me and bridged it. And yeah, it's, it's amazing. I think I wrestled him in this year, if not that year, 2016. Yeah. We mm-hmm. wrestled, we wrestled each other in ESW and I wrestled him in like his fourth match for a promotion called Next Era Wrestling in Rochester.
1: Yep. 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 And that, that's around the time that I had met him as well. Um, July 13th, 2015, Charlotte also known as Charlotte Flairs, going back and forth all during this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sasha Banks and Becky Lynch are all called up to the main roster yep. uh, in the marking the quote-unquote revolution. So uh, Sasha and Becky having indie experience before this. Sasha, I think, trained out of Boston. Yep. And, of course, Becky out of, uh, what, ICW in – in um, but somewhere in, in the UK and, and Ireland. And she took a
4: break from wrestling, but
1: yeah. – You're right. She did in there, too. And also, had, I think, even maybe even done one or two Japan – Things uh, in the middle there. But yes, so kind of a combination of, again, talent that was, began on the Indies, but then also seasoned in their developmental, and then also talent that was either second generation or um, also coming through their developmental program almost purely.
4: Right. And they're still divas at this point. They would not become female superstars or women superstars until, is it the following? Yeah, it's the, it's the following WrestleMania in 2016. But this is the moment where Stephanie McMahon brings them all out and they form these three factions uh mm-hmm. yeah we don't need to get into detail but yeah that happened
1: august 22nd nxt takeover sells out the barclay center in brooklyn and um one of my favorite moments in this uh of course uh jushin thunder Liker. that's right wrestling in wwe arguably for the first time i mean if you look at his wikipedia page they'll try to argue that somehow that co-branded show from 1990 includes wwf and i would say no that's that's ludicrous that's that's yeah. that's Poppycock! That's hogwash.
4: That is an easy thing to forget that Jushin Liger wrestled Tyler Breeze.
1: Yeah, and if you remember, it was politically sensitive at the time because the whole idea of New Japan working with WWE, mm-hmm. when in fact New Japan has its alliance with the Ring of Honor, and
4: they're, they're running head to head with the Ring of Honor on this weekend, if not this night.
1: Yeah, and and a lot of it came down to basically Jushin Liger is as well he should be so respected that he can do what he wants, and two, he basically said William Regal is my friend. And, uh, Mr. Regal asked if I would like to wrestle, and I said, sure. Okay.
4: So the reason why this NXT takeover is such a big deal is that this is the first takeover that's done at a major arena in conjunction with a main roster pay per view. Right. So this, this show, I think there was some question about, well, I don't know how it's going to sell. It's sold out. And, uh, of course, this, this is a big show with uh, highlighted by the Bailey versus Sasha Banks match which a lot of people think is the greatest women's match in the U S of all time. And it was, it was a really big deal at the time. And of course it, it all begins with the biggest star of them all from NXT.
3: It started as a whisper until you screamed it at the top of your lungs. We gained momentum. You made us unstoppable. We had a vision for change. You made it a revolution. We told you, we are the future. Until you told us, the future is now.
4: There's everyone's favorite dad, Paul Levesque. Well,
1: you know, you could argue most effective baby face transformation on the internet in uh, the last five years is, is the reputation of Paul Levesque. Yeah. Kind of gone from, from a
4: guy who is seen as... The, the evil as, manipulator who buries everyone.
1: And and marries into the family and, yeah. and, and gets it there to, you know, the, the daddy of, of the developmental system. And, you know, I think like anyone in a high-profile position... You get too much credit for the wins and too much blames for the losses. But, uh, you know, he, he uh, I'm, I'm positive his impact on all these people was very large. Uh, it's same with Dusty Rhodes, of course, who is still playing a, a significant role up until this point. Um, I, I should look up what year it was that Dusty died. Was it 2016? I don't know. Dusty died in 2015, 15, June 2015. 15. So he had just died yeah. uh, shortly before this. So that was also an element of, of kind of overshadowing some of this, was a lot of the developmental staff was very affected by both the advice that Dusty had given them and then, of course, his very sudden disappearance.
4: And they would do the Dusty
1: Classic, I believe, this year, too.
4: Yeah.
1: Um. But yeah, it, it a great show, um, positive show. Really, really also setting the stage to say that in major cities... WWE is capable of running both a pay-per-view and an NXT show and and drawing very heavily in it. And so, it, it like I said, it's, it's impossible. You know, when, when we talk about the success of All In, we talk about drawing more than 10,000. And the fact is NXT can draw more than 10,000 people mm-hmm. in the right arena when they're put with the right kind of promotion that goes along with it. A WrestleMania weekend, a SummerSlam weekend at the right time. Not every time, not consistently, but more than once a year. And that is huge because no one else in America can be drawing 10,000 for a professional wrestling show uh, consistently. And even the all ends of the world haven't proven they can do it consistently. Right.
4: So the final moment from 2015 that we have here is the final episode of Impact on Destination America, a recurring theme. And and parentheses here,
1: finally, uh, uh, Ring of Honor around the same time. Yes. Their yes. 26 weeks run up. And, and it, again, I, I think the reason this is really relevant is it speaks to... The fact that professional wrestling is both hot and cold simultaneously, where they're able to get on television, but they're not able to get big TV rights on television. And each step for impact, for instance, you could argue, is a half step down from where they were before, where they're getting less homes, they're getting less audience, they're getting less TV rights, they're getting less prominent stations, they're getting less uh, desirable time slots.
4: Yeah. Well, they're going to get more homes with pop in the following year. Yeah. But yeah, less viewership. And uh, less prestige.
1: So, uh, going into 2016, picking up speed here, like a choo-choo train. Mm-hmm. Um, January 5th, Impact debuts on his new TV home. The TV Guide Channel. The TV Guide Channel. The one that I was corrected, and I should correct myself on two things. Number one, I referred to Michelle Wilson as the chief brand officer. I believe she was the chief marketing officer. You referred to her as the chief brand officer? In 2014, yes. Okay, I, okay. I wanted to correct that. Number two, Pop TV does in fact air on HD. Mm. I was incorrect when I made that oh. s made that assertion. The pop TV executives
4: contact you to correct this
1: uh, in the form of David Bixen's spam. Yes, they wanted to correct that. And I and so I turned on pop TV to see whether or not it was an HD and I and we leave the TV on for my dogs because I hate the environment and um, we watched more than once the Amanda Bynes movie with Colin Firth where she goes to England and we, it, and we saw like the end of it like twice, my wife and I. And so it was us trying to figure out what this movie was about as You we
4: watched, watched this Clips movie twice it.
1: consecutively. It just kept being on TV and then we would catch different moments of it because we were cleaning the whole house okay. to get ready for, um, uh, the, the trip we're going on here and whatnot. Okay. So it just kept being on. So I, I turned on Pop TV and HD and, and watched an Amanda and, Bynes movie, And you watched which, like, something twice. on,
4: on Pop TV yes, o- other than Impact. I did. Have you I ever did. watched Impact on, on Pop TV? I have, yeah, yeah. Have. yeah.
1: I used to watch it on on demand, and I think the on demand service was not necessarily in HD, and that's mm. why I got it in my head that they didn't show it in HD.
4: And then you're un- unnecessarily piling onto Impact TV for, no. the, for the lack of uh, high fidelity transmission. January
1: seventh, WWE SmackDown moves from Sci-Fi to USA Network. This had been announced earlier in the year in 2014 or 2015 that this would happen. I remember USA they putting out a press release saying this was going to happen, and it was interesting because it was a. Kind of a concession about what sci-fi was going to be. That it, again, we're getting into this concept that different networks are are both moving away from their original branding. Yeah. In terms of sci-fi, actually, still has somewhat and still embraced the idea of being a science fiction network. And in some ways, it was always uh, wrestling was a bad fit. Um Even the ECW brand of wrestling was a bad fit. And on the flip side, the fact that USA Network is struggling for viewers struggling for successful shows. This is Psych is Done, Monk is Done, um, other shows are kind of winding down. I think Suits is and Chrisley Knows Best are probably their two highest um, profile things. A lot of Law & Order reruns and things going on right now. Not uh, So at the same time, USA Network is kind of using WWE as a prop to bring up their ratings and bringing sci-fi over. But again, we still have what I'd still call Lame Duck Sci-Fi. Or Lame Duck SmackDown. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's our next big, uh, moment,
4: the first episode, and it wasn't that big of a deal at the time, of course, but the first episode on May, on May, 5th of being the elite is posted to YouTube. And, uh, I did, I did look at it for research for this show. And it's, uh, it's certainly not the being the elite that we know today, which is sort of this skit based show. It's more of like a vlog of the young bucks and, and their travels to Japan and back and things like that.
0: Yeah, a
1: little bit like the Wrestling Road Diaries or something yeah. that, like, Colt Cabana would do and whatnot. But, yeah, interesting kind of just a note to say, I was, you know, true story, at the hotel yesterday, Brandon. I look up, and there's a woman uh wearing a sweatshirt, and it says, not a featured creator, not a featured creator, not a featured creator. Ooh. She turns around, and you know what it's for? YouTube. It's for TanaCon. The, uh, oh, really? Yeah, stream, wow. And, and so any of our our premium subscribers <laughs> might remember uh, Dave Lagana coming on and telling us all about the horrors of
4: TanaCon. Yes. But the, also the, the, the fact ta- that... The Tanahashi it, convention, is that no, what that was?
1: W- no. The the YouTube star. Tana. And, and so it just the idea that, like, in 2016 uh, here, you, you do start to see a lot more of this kind of um, being the lead, being one of these people really figuring out, oh, my God... YouTube is going to be a place for me to build fans, to build a following, and I don't necessarily even need to be on television to make this relevant. I can find other ways to connect with fans, and it grows into a movement. And just in the same way Tanakan grows into a movement years later, um, you know, the Young Bucks being the lead, 20, 2016, uh, they're, they're out there doing their thing.
4: Yeah, and the Young Bucks were already a, a big deal as you know, a tag team in Ring of Honor in New Japan, but, the being the elite series has really added to that. And it it enables helps enable a thing called all in, which we'll talk about later. July, 2016,
1: WWE splits the roster. SmackDown goes live on Tuesday nights, uh, arguably always a big moment because whenever you split rosters and you go live, you start doing different tours. You start needing to build up different stars and have star power on both brands. You start being able to, um, challenge yourself because you have to make decisions about whether or not you're going to have two world titles. Yeah. What does it mean to have two world titles? You uh, challenge me for the rest of my life to figure out, is it the WWE title, the world heavyweight title? Well, no, uh, it's the universal title. The universal title. It's a little title. more
4: distinct now. Yeah.
1: But, but which brand gets which title? I always screw that up. Um, and then also the fact that you it actually employs more people. Is that statistically, you will put more people on your brands if you have a uh, differentiated people than if you just run a raw and SmackDown and you're using someone at the same t- top talent, especially tag teams and whatnot, um, lose out a lot yeah. uh, when they when there's not differential. Yeah. Uh, uh, rosters, But so. going live, big deal. Also, WWE now saying, I'm going to tape Mondays. I'm going to follow it up with a Tuesday show. It's going to be live. There's no more taped shows yeah. for
4: WWE. And up, up to this point, they had been taping on Tuesday. They would tape SmackDown in advance on Tuesday. So now they're going live two days in a row rather than putting it on tape delay for a couple days. Um, but So it's been over two years now since this brand split happened. Uh, I have to admit, I was skeptical about it in the, in the beginning. Uh but I, I I gotta say from a business standpoint, the brand split was a good move. Uh it allowed I mean SmackDown's viewership had a nice jump because of this. Uh SmackDown is not just this very missable B show anymore. It's a show with a separate roster and that has compelled more people to watch than would watch otherwise. Of course, viewership has diminished over time. I think it would have diminished over time regardless, but it's diminishing from a higher, you know, I don't know a higher level than it, than it would have otherwise.
1: I, I think what's interesting is it used to be we would say Raw is the blank show and SmackDown is the blank show. SmackDown is the high flying show and Raw is the 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 talking show or something like that. What is almost become to define the two shows is the after shows. Which one gets mixed match challenge, which one gets 205 live. And you know kind of what was also paired onto those things and then also how did the crowd react to the fact that they were being asked to stay around after the show to watch 205 Live? Or how is, how is the 20 or 30-minute show for Mixed Match Challenge supposed to fit into that?
4: And, and not added to anywhere on this timeline is are things like 205 Live, yeah. the Cruiserweight Classic, the Mae Young Classic, which are interesting things in their own right, but did not yeah. make our 30 moments here.
1: I, I mean, it, it's fascinating to me when you start thinking about, like, Ibushi was in WWE. Right, right. Wrestling on a tournament for them.
4: Zack Sabre and Koto Abushi, man.
1: Yeah, we're, we're both... Uh, people that could have signed with WWE and kind of turned it down yeah I think I
4: think they did turn it down yeah. um, um october twenty fourth but it's, 20- just to add to that okay. I, th- I think live events so they were able to run more live events because of this now granted we talked about a lot in the previous quarter for WWE in their in their earnings report about how live events was not really profitable and not just that the Monday house show.
1: You need to ask. It's like the ECW house show or the 205 Live house show, if you remember that very short-lived so experiment. What
4: you're talking about is the SmackDown roster is now running a house show on Monday nights while Raw is on the air.
1: Yeah, and, and if you, you almost need to take that number out if you want to truly look at the health of the company. Because that is essentially just a, a sunk cost show. We are already going to have the talent on the road Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday, it's a sunk cost for us right. to not do anything with them on Monday when we could probably run a show. But oftentimes, we're going to draw 2,000, 3,000, sometimes even under 2,000 people. Um, and so I always would say it artificially lowers your how- your North American house show number. And so you, you really to understand the, the health of the show. You should be looking at non-Monday house shows. They're still down. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that at the same time, 2016 onwards, this is when the ticket prices start escalating again and again and again. And and uh, there's a great graph on our Reddit page at reddit.com slash r slash russellnomics where Smurt Brandon uh, did a whole graph where he does WWE ticket prices versus CPI index. We can kind of see how fast it escalates over the last four years here. That's inflation, CPI, right?
4: Yeah. But, um, um
1: yeah, it, it's interesting. Uh, I think it was successful.
4: So they'll be able to so. avoid doing Monday House shows when SmackDown moves to Friday. Yeah. If they choose. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, next. next
1: uh, October 24th. Big really-
4: news. Big news. You remember this? Remember this hype? Yeah. Yeah. Pays in advance of the announcement of flow sports getting into the wrestling business
1: yeah so flow sports which was mainly a, a collegiate sports yeah. network where if you wanted to watch your kids do amateur wrestling or maybe you wanted to watch marching band performances they were smart enough to say you know what there's a market out there that's interested in streaming these things mm-hmm. and that we can build up a, a giant video footage i still am a big believer that their end game is to sell to an ESPN plus or to Zone or someone that just wants tons of footage um, but they, they announced that they were going to launch. Slow Slam.
4: October 24th, they come out with this press release. And it's, uh, why don't you read me a couple lines from it? The headline is Flow Sports announces five year agreement with WWN Live to live stream all events on Flowslam.tv. This is the Austin, Texas based uh, Flow Sports company. Uh, do you want to hear more about this? Flow, Flow Sports today announced a five year partnership with World Wrestling Network Live, that's WN Live, to make FlowSlam.tv the exclusive worldwide streaming partner of all WN Live properties, including Evolve, Shine, Full Impact Pro, and WN Super Show.
1: And this this really is interesting because of course Evolve is very close with WWE. You heard Triple H mention Evolve specifically uh on, on his call, and yet they signed with uh Flow Sports. And there was a lot of questions about what does this mean for that relationship? 5-year deal and then of course there was an, an a lawsuit a few years later
4: at the kind of the termination of this deal to complicate this further WB has a $1 million investment in Flow Sports. They do have an investment. I, in I don't WB know Sports if we've Sports. ever like explicitly confirmed that but that's uh there, there's something in their 10K or the No, it's explicitly Q. confirmed. It is.
1: Yeah, if if you look on one of the uh, like um the the sites that lets you track uh, uh well, there was a pre, there was a press release there and it was, was named yes. as an
4: investor. Yes. And you can see in one of W's SEC filings we have a 1 million dollar investment in a, sp- a streaming sports, sports website. Yeah. And then there's also like a
1: a website that kind of follows startup companies and says who's done when they do series funding, you know, uh to get funding for their things who is invested in those series funding. And they're specifically mentioned in that one too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it's, it's well known that they are an investor. Now, Barrios made a reference to this in the most recent UBS talk where he talked about it being like the venture fund or the capital fund or something where they
4: have like an investment fund. He made reference to the money that he's allowed to invest in various yeah, That WWE
1: has this like investment fund. And so there was never, there was never a belief that WWE owned controlled, Flow Sports. The belief was that they had invested money, and Flow Sports was allowed to use that money the way they wanted to use, mm-hmm. uh, because they were a minority investor, and it was just series funding. And the hope was they would get money down the line from it.
4: And, and so the idea of Flow Slam, I think, was not just what they what they got was WN, which most importantly uh, is is the parent company of Evolve, which is and was a, a, a big, a pretty big indie. Uh, that's, that's got an, an increasingly, uh, important relationship with WWE. I, w- I would always think like th- there were there were, and there still are. I mean, I think, I think Evolve's profile has dropped since this flow slam stuff happened, but there, there are two big indies that are, I think m- most, yeah, most important in terms of your profile, if you can work them and be associated with them and that's PWG and Evolve. Um, those are two really big influencers. But, I think.
1: but two things I'd say is number one, I I'm neglecting to mention that flow sports was increasingly getting into MMA. They were increasingly kind of fighting with the UFC fight pass saying, here's our version of all the other lower level MMA stuff around the world. And I believe it was some of the MMA employees that had a lot of wrestling interests who began to pitch yeah. this idea of flow slam. So Jeremy Botter. Exactly. is Jeremy Botter being one of the top people who really said – I think there's an opportunity here for wrestling streaming. WWE doesn't really own this. I think they tried to get New Japan and they couldn't get the New Japan rights. Um, at least there was a lot of talk at the time about whether or not they, they were trying to get New Japan. But I, my belief was they did try and do it and they basically couldn't work out a deal. Um, I'm sure New Japan probably just said no.
4: I think they they tried to get Ring of Honor. I think they tried to get PWG. Yeah, and, and, and PWG these...
1: we did hear a lot that they were negotiating for, and you know there just was no interest is is always what we heard, and and what they were willing to pay. So Evolve, like you said, is a high profile, but I think it also spoke to the limited appeal of a high profile indie in the sense that can you really build a streaming service off of that?
4: I, I think the idea was for this to be a bundle of indies, and it ended up being a. a just the WN bundle. It's just a, a, another way to distribute WN. And there was a lot of arguments about kind of which, up to that point, we should point out WN, up to that point, was just an ipay It was an i pay per view site that has all these different brands of wrestling. It's this thing. uh I, I don't know if Sapulski himself has a stake in it, but it's Sal, Sal Hamui, who who's the owner, I gather. And you go to WN live, you can buy each pay per view for what it's like ten bucks, and you know it's it's a little more if you want to watch it on delay or whatever it is, right? So they're just s- selling single a la carte pay-per-views up to this point. And this was a streaming service that allows you to, to just pay a monthly recurring fee and you get to watch all of it.
1: And and part of the argument of the lawsuit was essentially there was an accusation made that the financials that were disclosed for how WWN Live's business had been previously had misled the Flow Sports executives on how successful they were going to be in terms yeah. of number of subscribers in the end, we got the impression that there was never more than a few thousand people who became Flow Slam subscribers, um, even at its peak. And I, I believe that there was a thought that they would have almost 10 times that number uh, based on the performance of WWE live. And also, I think on on the basis that they would get something else. I think that was the, the model was always built on the idea that there would be the Ring of Honor tier or something. And, and if you talk to people at the time... People say one thing and they do something else, but what people would tell you is, I'm not going to buy Flow Slam for WWN. Mm -hmm. However, if they got Ring of Honor, you know, I don't hear anything but good things about Ring of Honor. I would get it for that. If they got New Japan, I I would definitely get it for New Japan. And it was kind of what I've, I've argued a lot, which is the niche OTT service is increasingly fighting for the same dollars where you have your broad OTT services like the Netflix, the Hulu, the Amazon where you get lots of different things. WWE, MLB, that's niche. You're getting one tier of something and either you have to be a mega fan of that or you have to price it against other things that you could invest in that one thing. Fight fight passes the same way. And so when you're getting you're not even getting a bunch of wrestling programs, you're getting the you know, you're getting this one major one. And and to a degree Power Slam is kind of the spiritual successor of Flow S- Slam, and I don't mean that as a prerogative. Pop, power,
4: so there's Power Bomb. Power Bomb, I'm there's sorry. Power Slam, uh, <laughs> Power Bomb launches a little while after Flow Slam does.
1: Yeah. And, in and in a year. sense, kind of getting the next tier down of, of but, what those indies, are the indies real. that are left. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, interesting kind of development there that, uh, it, that, you know, Flow Slam dipping its toe in the water, and I don't know whether it was too early. I don't know whether it was marketed wrong. I don't know whether it was just, um, you know, I I heard a lot of complaints from people saying, you know, Flow Sports never embraced Flow Slam to the point that when Flow Sports would do podcasts, it would be about WWE pay per views and they would put WWE pay per views on their event calendar, leading people to think they could get Flow Slam. WWE, and then they'd realize that's not included. There was also complex in the pricing model, and I think that was also a real turnoff for people, where they'd say, what do you mean I have to subscribe for a year if I want to get this price, but if I want to go monthly, it's this price, and I get access to this, but I don't really care about this. Like 150
4: for a year, or, or 20 bucks for a month, or something like that. Yeah.
1: And it, it speaks very heavily to the fact that friction and, uh, pricing simplicity is really important. And that might be an understated point for WWE Network's launch, going nine ninety nine, simple price, simple setup. Once they got rid of the six month requirement, you know what we were learning again and again was you can come up with great financial models, but what the audience and what the public really wants is something you can pitch in an elevator.
4: And I, I don't know a lot about what their their plans were. I think that at one time. The, the idea was there to be like written content on, on Full Slam. It was supposed to be like this, almost like this wrestling website that also had, you know, I guess, guess like a video streaming website that also had written wrestling content on it. I would say
1: Bleacher Report and BR Live. BR Live is a, a sports OTT service. Bleacher Report is a sports article based. If you kind of think of those being bundled together, that's a little bit of what maybe they were looking for.
4: Right. And I guess there, there just didn't seem to be a lot of, I don't know, personnel stability there. Like, we know stories about Jeremy Bo- uh, Jeremy Botter, who was invo- involved in getting this thing launched. He eventually leaves Flow Slam. Uh, Rob McCarran was was hired to be a part of it and, and left quickly thereafter. Uh, a, a lot of people from wrestling media were contacted about this, including myself and the uh, I don't know. It sounded like a shaky thing to me. And and, and as it turns out, we'll, we'll talk about in a little while what, what ends up happening with Flow Slam. But yeah.
1: Yeah. So December of that year, WWE launches the WWE UK brand. And this is the first step towards what, we're, what uh, Triple H calls and trademarks, no less, global localization. But the WWE UK brand, a uh, big deal, December 15th, 2016.
4: I believe this is going to supercharge the United Kingdom and Irish wrestling scene. But
1: more importantly... This is going to bridge the gap between independent
4: wrestling and the WWE, something that has never been done before. So there's Finn Balor talking about how WWE is bridging the gap between independent wrestling and and it's in itself. Uh, this would be this is December, and then of course in January they would do that UK tournament. Uh, I think this is the first time that uh, what was I going to say here? I think this was in reaction to World of Sport, wasn't it? getting on itv
1: doing the ww uk brand yeah 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 and and just kind of that slow uh slow movement towards what this rollout is i think at the same time there's also always a thought that maybe we'll get a tv deal and maybe we'll get a renewal and and kind of hanging that out there and not really necessarily getting traction but yeah definitely um again kind of doing a binge on signing up some talent
4: yeah and it's the beginning of some relationships with uh progress in icw which george Berrios will weigh in on in a moment
1: yeah um and at the very end of this year you mentioned john cena moves to a lighter wrestling schedule
4: yeah and you could put this anywhere on the timeline but i think it coincides with his injury uh that takes him out of action what from the beginning of of 2016 he comes back for wrestlemania and i think he finally comes back in may but he never really returns to a full-time wrestling schedule ever again
1: yeah and
4: I think it's, it's. And as I've demonstrated, John Cena is a, is is a real drawing card on, yeah. on how it shows that he's part I, of.
1: I was just thinking about it today where it's like, you have these certain people and you think about them as Hall of Famers and then you just kind of say, how the heck did they not get 100% of the vote? And like, Cena's just one of those to me where it's just like, I don't care so if you, if you recall
4: think, his percentage off the top of your head. Uh,
1: he was in the seventies probably, but it's just one of those where it's just like, you know what? They matter. And to me, a Hall of Famer matters. Like maybe maybe there's more to it than that, but I that's the simplest definition I would say is that is the industry the same is the business the same if this person is involved, and usually for the better is what I mean by that. I don't mean necessarily like in a Crispin Huawei, because um, then you're just going with who is the most infamous. Yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah, it it's just. It's shocking to me when i think about it and the fact that john cena you know he's in he's already there's room you know he's gonna be coming back for a couple shows here and it'll be interesting to see the effect he's gonna have on on house, some house shows he's and, gonna be
4: here in buffalo and i don't know if he's on no he's not on the buffalo show but he's is he, is he
1: here for nickel city or is he gonna do <laughs> wwe
4: I don't know. We'll have to uh, go to the show later and find out. Uh, but I think he's, he's doing this holiday tour, right? W always does this uh, December 26th through December 31st holiday tour in, in, a lot of cities and they do some of the biggest house show crowds of the year and he's, he's on some of those shows. Um, but I, th- so I did an article in, maybe in this year, in 2016, because the thought was, I don't know, maybe he's not going to come back and, and do a full house show. St- uh, tour ever again and i found that he is he is a like about a 20 percent difference maker on on house show attendance but i i also looked in and said well how much of effect would this be on w's overall business and they like the overall effect would be like a few million which in in WWE size business terms is not that much when you're making like 800 million in revenue a year
1: yes but i would argue 2018 is the ramification of john cena stopping to wrestle where suddenly
4: live live event event business business.
1: starts tanking and people start panicking. And in a sense, you could say, all you have to do is restructure your costs. All you have to do is restructure your tours. All you have to do is cut back and not doing unprofitable tours. Mm -hmm. WWE is, you know, the fact WWE can still draw 4,000 people or, you know, they were talking about uh, how MSG drew drew 12,000 people for the holiday tour and that was bad because normally they could draw more than that. And to me, it's like, You know who else can draw 12,000 people? No one. Not even New Japan can draw 12,000 people consistently. They can draw it for special shows.
4: They do it in Japan. uh, Sumo Hall.
1: Yeah, but not consistently. A few times a year. A couple times a year. I'm not saying for a house show like MSG on Christmas, day after Christmas. You know, the fact they were talking about Chicago doing 6,000. It's like, you know, TNA would kill for a a 6,000. Impact would kill for a 6,000 person house. Um, so it's just really intriguing to me sometimes. Uh, uh, the, the, the standard we're setting there. But yeah, there's a huge
4: impact for sure. Um, that, that kind of ends 2016. We get to 2017 then? Yeah, we got a very light year of 2017. Was, was 2017 just not that eventful a year for big moments in pro wrestling history? I've only, I've only found three of them here.
1: Um, I think, you know, if I were to say what was, in my opinion, the biggest thing in 2017, in some ways, I thought the media that the Hardys did with the impact was really relevant. Was that 2016 or 2017 when we kind of had the beginning of, of you know, the, the Hardy man, the Hardy compound and all that?
4: Uh, well, last year. Wasn't things... it
1: that they came into WWE in.
4: No, this was 2000. Uh, the... The final deletion and all that was 2016, because it, okay. it was one of the last things I wrote for Voices of Wrestling. Because
1: I would say that was really relevant, and then you kind of lead into the Young Bucks and the Hardy Boys and all there, having a big event, and then also then debuting at WrestleMania.
4: Yeah. So so we start 2017. The first moment i got on the list here is May 22nd, and George Berrios is doing a talk somewhere, and uh, he drops this tidbit.
1: Um, as you look to potentially sort of add content to the pipeline, would it ever make sense to add or partner with other wrestling federations, you know, something like a Ring of Honor, you know, or even adjacent sports that your fans might be interested in?
4: Yeah, I think there's something there. It's always priority and
2: uh, what comes first. Uh, We, You know, we recently announced a deal with uh, icw in progress which are wrestling promotions in the uk and so you know we're thinking about the best way to utilize that content but uh yeah and as you know we've been fairly
1: active over the years in purchasing uh wrestling libraries video libraries a lot of which now you can see on the network so yeah we think there's a home for that and it's just a matter of uh you know priority
4: so there's george barrios you remember that press release right Press release. There's no press release for me. There is no press release for that. (laughs) Which was news, real news. I think you and I were the only two people who caught it. And we didn't, as I recall... Because I had to find my old tweet to find this clip. Like we didn't even listen to it until a few days or no, like a week later. No, it took me later. days
1: to find it. And I, I, I kind of asked a few people, like anybody listen? Anybody listen? No. Nobody responded. So finally, I listened to it. And I think it might have been the press conference I listened to in my car. And then I, I remember, I,
4: I remember driving on the throughway and like playing this off of my phone and being like, "Whoa, George Barris is talking about his favorite UK indies here. What is he doing?"
1: And ICW is my favorite one because I would just be like, "There's zero percent chance that George Berrios is randomly going to drop ICW." No, he knows who Ring of Honor is. I guarantee George Berrios knows who Ring of Honor is. Certainly he knows probably. who New Japan is. But this is like uh like like going out there and mentioning not even DDT. Like, you know, a
4: promotion that is smaller than that. I mean, we, we just played a clip from Triple H in May 2015 where he's talking about Dragon's Gate. Yeah. Which which I think he's trying to refer to Evolve. Yeah. In the following clip in December, he he understands now what Evolve is. But even Triple H in yeah. 2015 didn't know what, what Evolve was.
1: Yeah. And so it's just really funny to me that he would say that. But yeah, I, I think it says a little bit about just the behind the scenes work. Um, I was always amused by like Vin, uh, like Meltzer at the time because we had the NXT UK deal. Mm-hmm. And at the, the big NXT UK show, you had, was it Jim Smallman?
4: So Jim Smallman is a progress guy who, who's behind progress. And wasn't he sitting there at the show? There's, yeah, I think you're referring to it. There's a photo. So now it, but it's not even photo. It's on the it's on the broadcast next to UK. Oh, he's on. He's like in the crowd. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And they like show them as like the people. And I just remember like people tweeting at the time, like those that do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And they're like, if you are a UK indie, read about 1983 and 1984 as much as you can. But Triple H just said he's not trying to compete
4: with any of those people. did you hear him?
1: And and learn about how WWE positioned itself to local talents. But they'd say things like, why don't you send us your tapes? We'll help get your talent over by putting it on our national show. The rising tide lifts all ships. And it was just this idea of then, like, suddenly we have a partnership. And then the next thing you know, of course, people can't work certain places in the UK. And it gets more and more and more restrictive.
4: And, and what's the deal he's referring to is the, the, the long speculated idea that other independent... Promotions like Progress, ICW, maybe Evolve will eventually appear on the W Network, maybe as part of a premium tier, which is yet to be launched.
1: Yeah. You could argue that all five of these years, you can go back, you can listen to the Business Partner Summit. I think there's been five years it's been broadcast. Might only be four, but I think it's five. And I've I've covered it each of those years. And just the Business Partner Summit alone is a two-hour show every year because it's fascinating stuff they talk about. And this is good examples of kind of... The content that comes out is when they talk about WWE Network 2.0, which was the name they gave it on this year's business partner summit. You can see the crumbs that were being laid all these other times so that when someone says, what do you think it's going to be? I can give them an answer. And it's usually based on two things. One, these little talks that George gives to the WWE Network surveys that are sent out where they sometimes say things like Dragon's Gate. Yeah. And would often list promotions that they in no way have access to the footage of. Yeah. But
4: they would say, would you like to see it on the network? Leading people to wildly speculate. Well, I think they're trying to to gauge like, okay, well, how valuable would this be to our audience? Like New Japan, every promotion under the sun has been named on these surveys. Yeah.
1: Including sometimes promotions that have been dead for years. Yeah.
4: To, like to Dragonsgate USA. 2CW, I think, is on there on one of the surveys. <laughs> it's like this def- defunct promotion from Central New York. Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, July 1st and 2nd, big moment for uh, uh, New Japan. New Japan comes to the U.S. Yeah. And they're not in Rawway, New Jersey this time yeah. doing a co-promoted show with nobody there. They are doing Long Beach, and it's the New Japan G1. And we are finally, it's- finally going to see Billy Gunn versus
4: Tanahashi. Yeah, it's a dream match. Uh, So it's not part of the G1 Climax Tournament. It's called G1 in USA, a two-day uh series of shows in Long Beach. This aired live on Access. Mm-hmm. I had to subscribe to Sling to watch this live. Yep. Because I, I'm not a cable subscriber. I'm a Chord Never. But uh, what was on this show? Can For a guy
1: who was a Chord Never, there's a Chord on the floor here.
4: There's there like is. There's 6 Chords over there. Yeah, this is old media. We're still championing old media here on, on WrestleNomics Radio. Uh, someday we'll have Bluetooth microphones.
1: So interesting, um, uh, immediately sells out both shows,
4: if yep. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And these aren't, this isn't a huge venue setup. This is like 2300.
1: Yeah. And so it speaks to basically the idea that new Japan is successful because they came to the United States and they immediately sold out and ring of honor has gone to Japan a bunch of times and rarely is able to fill the hall unless they're like stacking the card with new Japan guys. Mm-hmm. And so it, it does speak to the fact that there was suddenly demand. There's suddenly acknowledgement that New Japan world is in fact getting a huge international base that is driving up the numbers. But on the flip side, New Japan is so cautious. There's all these stories that they don't bring enough merchandise. That they book according to wanting to please an American audience rather than present an authentic New Japan experience, which is really what the audience wanted. And um, you know the audience is very torn. But on the on the positive side, it's a there's some really good matches on the show, and people are very excited to see the biggest stars. Yeah.
4: So there was a Tanahashi versus Billy Gunn match, which was underwhelming. Uh, but it's not like that was. Placed in the main event, these two shows were based around a tournament for the introduction of a new IWGP US title. Uh, and it ends up, I I think it's the the final matches, uh, Omega and Ishii, and it's a great match. And there's all these other tournament matches that are, you know, exciting too.
1: Yeah. And, and so it's a, a very big moment for New Japan. And again, um, really signaling their interest in the u.s
4: marketplace i think there's okada Cody on here too for the GP heavyweight title
1: yes and and just kind of that question mark of what is going to be their strategy about expanding into this marketplace and is there is there going to be consequences um in terms of what wwe is going to see new japan as if they're actually coming here to tour and will wwe be trying to counter program with them in any way
4: yeah yeah, you're I'm, looking up the show I'm, right I'm now. making sure I'm, I'm, I'm right about what I just said I am okay about those matches yep yep so
1: end of that year November 29th flow slam discontinued
4: yeah Uh they, they so PW insider came out with a report saying flow slam dead so after uh, I, I they changed price points a lot and I think you could sign up and get the entire flow sports package as part of your subscription but yep. yeah uh, <clears throat>
1: and there's less and less future programming going on there was kind of a dissolve a, a dissolution as i recall going on with like you know what shows would and wouldn't be on the service
4: mhm uh despite announcing in august of 2016 that its parent company Flow sports had received 21.2 million million in new funding okay that's not relevant to what i'm saying but at, at some point they they decided to discontinue airing wn live
1: yeah. And, and it was like, and, what am
4: I subscribing to here?
1: And as we learn, that's because there was a lawsuit coming out. Yeah. And the lawsuit, as I, I mentioned before, was over basically whether or not Flow, Flow Sports felt that it had been misled. And on the flip side, WWN felt that it was entitled to get certain renewal money. Basically, it was a 12 month program and that they were entitled to get the money again for year two and that, and essentially, Uh, flow sports was trying to terminate the agreement so they didn't have to pay that money. Yeah. Eventually the lawsuit would basically uh, go into, I think it started in Texas. It got elevated to like federal court and then it got moved to like Florida court. And then I believe in uh, Florida, it
4: was basically
1: both sides agreed to, uh, a settlement or negotiate outside of court.
4: And what Bix broke that story about the lawsuit for Fightful, I think, right? Um, so if you want to look up some detail of what happened there, you can search, for, search for David Bickens fan of flight and like WN full slam. Uh, then we got some, some documents, right. That gave us what WN said were their pay-per-view numbers that they, that they gave to flow s- sports to, you know, support making this deal. Yeah. I, I did an article for Flightful that, charted all of those numbers
3: can- yeah and i don't
1: think the numbers seemed like they were outrageous no, no. so it was kind of more this question about whether or not flow sports
4: maybe misunderstood what they were getting themselves into or because yeah, i think like the complaint says that like they they falsified or fabricated their numbers or exaggerated them or whatever yeah. and then i remember looking at them like oh these seem like these seem plausible
1: and part of it was that there, there seemed to be some exchanges that we don't we never got to see and like I mentioned, in the end, I believe it went to a settlement where the two sides basically agreed to out of court. So this lawsuit is not active anymore? No, no. Um, it I believe basically it was dismissed with the idea that they would uh, – they had either some out of court settlement or that they would resume it at a later time.
4: Yeah. And the deal was for – do you remember what the deal was – the amount the deal was for? is was f- five years for – I remember being told what it was for. Was, I, was, a million dollars is
1: in my head, but maybe was, that's way too much. Multiple
4: millions of dollars. but
1: Well, multiple over many years. But the thing was it was prorated in the first year and, and they were trying to avoid some lump sums and whatnot. Because I remember
4: you sneakily doing a, a poll saying, what do you think it's worth? That's right. Because, because we kind of knew.
1: You're right. I think I was told. And then I was also told, I think, how much they thought that they it was going to cost them to get Ring of Honor and how much they thought this other deal was worth. In the end, what happened was they basically felt they had a lot of buyer's remorse is what it appears to be, is that they paid a lot of money for Evolve and they did not end up seeing anywhere near the consumption that they thought they were going to see. Uh, I'm sure you will see uh, something that that one of us wrote about it.
4: So what was the flow slam deal worth for WN?
1: So, uh, in the contract, the rights fee was that 2016 would be 75,000 because it was a very short time. Mm-hmm. It began in November of 2016. It was supposed to end December of 31st, 2021. 2017, they wanted half a million. 2018, they wanted 550,000. 2019, 605, 2020, 670, 2021, 740. Mm-hmm. And they also said that they will pay, uh, if they get certain um, net cash, they would also get extra money. So, so it's net cash? I think that was basically the amount of um, people subscribing.
4: In case you're wondering, yes, Mookie is reading directly from the legal filing on his smartphone right now.
1: I am November twenty seventh, twenty seventeen, page two
4: of four. So, uh, is that about three million over those five years? 3.4 million is, is the number that I have here Yeah, is that I'm sneakily yeah. referring to in this turbulent year 2017 article on Fightful. Yep,
1: yep. and it, this was a public filing, so I, this wasn't secret information. Uh, they tried to later actually kind of uh, redact it and publish it, but luckily Bix and I had pulled it before then. Um, but yes, they also had some escalators in there that if they basically it said if net cash was a million dollars, they would get another half million. And in that case, I would guess net cash means...
0: Revenue. the rights
1: that they get from subscription fees after the processing is taken out mm. so you know if if a subscription fee was 20 bucks that'd probably be fifty thousand let's say okay so you know again if there was fifty thousand plus people we're gonna get half a million dollar escalator versus there was probably two to four thousand people so you were one tenth of where you thought you were going to be yeah yeah
4: so we go into 2018. The year starts off with a bang in January on January 25th. Yes. We had Brad
1: already... Shepard a name that will forever live in infamy. Tells yeah. us all. Yes.
4: Well, and I think be- before this we knew that there was something called Alpha Entertainment LLC.
1: Yes. We had we had seen that that Vince McMahon was liquidating some stock and he was going to put it into a new company called Alpha Entertainment. And he then filed a whole bunch of trademarks, including USFW, For the Love of Football, um, I, I don't even remember, United States Football League, I think was another name. UFL,
4: UFL.
1: Y- yes, that's right. UFL, URFL. Um, and we tracked them all through, and then Bix and I kind of spent some time trying to figure out business names. And we kind of figured out that the one name actually turned into Alpha Entertainment. It was some other name than Dairy Entertainment, or I can't remember what the other name was, but they were all the same. Oh, VKM Enterprises, I think it was called. Okay, You know, it was a real clear Vince McMahon reference. But yes, finally, in January 25th, we get a rap, and we also hear from the man himself. Here he is.
2: The new XFL will kick off in 2020, and quite frankly, we're going to give the game of football back to fans. I'm sure everyone has a lot of questions for me, but... I also have a lot of questions for you. In fact, we're going to ask a lot of questions and listen to players, coaches, we're going to listen to medical experts, technology executives, members of the media, and anyone else who understands and loves the game of football. But most importantly, we're going to be listening to fans. So I'd ask that, uh, well, the question of what would you do if you could reimagine the game of professional football.
1: So uh, there we hear the special word. Quite frankly. Reimagined.
4: Reimagined. Remember, that
1: was the Business Partner Summit's theme was reimagined, reimagined, reimagined. You know,
4: I noticed because I, I had to go through the uh, the Las Vegas uh, conference where they introduced the W Network. And, and Michelle Wilson is using reimagined. And maybe events too. There's reimagined even then. Oh, okay. in 2014.
1: So that's 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 the ruthless event. Uh, re- aggression
4: of the 2010s. I Maybe mean, that, that's what we should call this episode is reimagined. Is the wrestling business. Reimagined. Well, that,
1: well you know, that's what Wrestleonomics Radio is going to be in 2019 is reimagined. It's going to be reimagined. It's going to be something. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I think one thing that a lot of people don't quite get with the XFL relaunch is how differently Vince is taking the approach this time. He went into the first XFL as an adversary to everyone. Where he wanted to take on the world, he wanted to combine it with wrestling, and he wanted to stick his finger in the eye of any sponsor that pulled out. Wrestling or, was super
4: hot at the time he, and didn't didn't he thought trust he was him. Invincible.
1: He wanted to blow up, I think it was a Hyundai at the um at the halftime of one of his big games because they had pulled out as a sponsor. Yeah. And this time, he's, you know, hiring Andrew Luck. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the guy he hired. It's,
4: it's, it's Andrew Luck's dad, Oliver Luck.
1: Oliver Luck. Thank you. Um, and he's, you know, literally going and trying to work with other companies in the football arena. I think he's tried to work with the NFL and other companies. And people. he's taking his
4: time with This is supposed to launch in 2020.
1: Yes. And unfortunately, he's also going to get beat to market. And there's always the question about whether or not other people are going to see him as a competitor or as a friend. Uh, but as far as we can tell, Vince is Vince is very committed this time to doing it in a very different way.
4: I think most re- relevant to the wrestling business here, and he was asked about this in this conference that we just played a clip from, is uh, is this going to affect your uh, you know, your ability to, to spend time working with WWE? And he said no.
1: And also, they asked, is this going to be cross-promoted with WWE? Were you going to see crossover between the two? And he said, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. They're going to be separate businesses.
4: He also did not discuss this decision with his wife, Linda McMahon, before he announced this. That's right. That was who, that was a question. Who We did, we don't cover this in the timeline here, but Linda McMahon, by this time, has been appointed to become the, the administrator of the Small Business Administration in the Donald Trump White House.
1: February 19th. 2018 ROH Honor Club launches.
4: Ring of Honor finally gets into the OTT streaming business. By this
1: time, well, they they kind of had, didn't they, that website streaming going on with shows and look, things.
4: Fair. There there was a lot of streaming on their website. Uh, I don't know if there were live broadcasts, but there were def- there was definitely VOD. There would be like some events that you could watch. That were kind of house shows that you could watch in, on, on VOD. Yeah. And they had done pay-per-views, obviously. And they even had a
1: thing where like, you could watch the new TV show earlier if you were a subscriber. Yes. And then if you didn't, you could watch it after a period of time.
4: Yeah. and I, I had subscribed to that at one point. Yeah. yeah.
1: March 5th of 2018. One of the most monumentous decisions for WWE. A decision that has ramifications nearly every day. Almost Every day a story comes out in the news that I can tie to this decision. Mm -hmm. And that is on March 5th, 2018, WWE announces they have signed a deal with the Saudi government. It comes out that it's part of the vision 2030 money. If you had been following the Saudi government about vision 2030 money, it was kind of obvious. That's what this would be about. And it's basically an entertainment deal. It says that for 10 years for an undisclosed amount of money, they will, uh, WWE will produce live events. Emanating out of Saudi Arabia. And the point of this was basically to help diversify Saudi Arabia's uh, uh, revenue streams outside of oil money and create a more vibrant economy and vibrant society that would then attract both people coming in and then entertainment and other events going on.
4: And nobody covered this as as a big story at the time, except for WrestleNomics.
1: I think a few people understood that there was ramifications I would say we, I was one of the very first people I know of that immediately emailed WWE and said, is this related to to Vision 2030? And started asking other questions uh, right off the bat. Um, You know, and then people very quickly kind of asking us, well, what about women? What about, uh, you know, oh. other ramifications?
4: Vision 2030 is named in this press release oh, it is? On, okay. on March 3rd, but it, But it's 5th. not
1: specifically says that it's because of Vision 2030. It just kind of says, like, we're also doing Vision 2030,
4: doesn't it? This event is part of a 10-year strategic oh. multi-platform partnership in support of Vision 2030, Saudi Arabia's social and economic reform program.
1: Oh, okay. Well, there you go then. <laughs> I guess it was outlined very, very clearly at the time. So, um... It was an interesting decision. I think what was shocking to us was the fact that they would go straight from WrestleMania all the way to Saudi Arabia and do a mega pay-per-view. Yeah. The Greatest Royal Rumble. In the same month. In the same month. Because that is just an enormous wear and tear on the production people to get out there to produce an arena. I'm sorry, a stadium-sized event. Yeah. The number of talent they had to bring over. And then the fact that you have to do it in an environment that you're not going to be familiar with, where you're going to have to then bring in both your own people and your own equipment and just the amount of money that was supposedly being thrown around to do this, because this was going to be a show that not only had those people, but would have Brock Lesnar, but would have other stars being involved and in, in coming back and doing things.
4: And, and most of the media and fan noise, uh, the negative media and fan noise that was uh, that built up to the race for rumble in April was around. There's no women on the show.
1: Yeah. And and there was a lot of warning signs about what was happening in Saudi Arabia at the time. If you'd been following it, around
4: both um, the war in Yemen is already happening.
1: Yeah, and the purge in terms of leadership uh, by MBS, I believe that had the, already uh, also happened.
4: Had the uh, the hotel uh, crackdown shakedown happened exactly. at that point? I believe so.
1: And so there was a lot of stories kind of going on about kind of the the one step forward, one step back maybe half step back, depending on how you want to look at it, about what was happening here. And then kind of this this um, compromise between is the ability to force new developments in Saudi Arabia a good thing? Because maybe it involves uh, silencing the most radical clerics. At the same time, you're doing it in ways that might violate human rights or might be extrajudicial or might be just another form of autocracy. Um, and then kind of the, the, the best argument that came out of it for me was someone basically saying, we want revolution as long as you think it's the government giving it to you. If in any way someone, an activist or a rebel is credited with a revolution, it will be stomped out immediately. And so it's that idea that like you can't propose these things. You have to be given these rights from the government because everything flows from on high
4: sounds like wB in fact, but I think the parallels between like w leadership and saudi arabia's uh, sort of leadership is is interesting but uh, one of the best examples of what you you're talking about is i think one of, one of the uh, activists who really pushed for women being allowed to drive and women women having more rights is now in jail yeah in saudi arabia
1: and, and it wasn't really until may i believe of this year that we no, actually, it was even later than that, wasn't it? When the actual money for this uh, deal came in, because it would have been the Q2 filing, Q2
4: report, which would have so come been out August. in July? On August.
1: I believe it was August that it would have come
4: out. Yeah, something like that.
1: It's usually two months after the end of the quarter. Yeah.
4: And we find out. That this this other segment is up to like sixty million dollars, whereas it's usually in like a dozen it's million. Ten, dollars. yeah,
1: ten to fifteen, and so there's a really good argument that there was a good thirty to forty million dollars associated, which would make it more profitable than even Russell me May- Well. More revenue generated than even WrestleMania and in some ways more profitable.
4: The biggest WrestleMania gate of all time is WrestleMania 32 with $17.3 million.
1: Yeah. And that's a live event gate. That's not including the pay-per-view money. That's the, not including the merchandise.
4: However money. much money you want to say was, was drawn on the network because of WrestleMania. Who knows? Yeah. But yeah.
1: But that idea just saying like, my God, they got another WrestleMania. Right. And they got it in kind of guaranteed rights fees hmm. compared to even Australia Super Show where you could say, no, they drew that house. They, they were able to promote an event and fill it versus the one that they did in Saudi Arabia. They basically gave the tickets away for, for pennies yeah. compared to what it, the value would be in the,
4: in the US market. So that's Greatest Royal Rumble late April. Yep. They're going to do another show though in Saudi Arabia on November 2nd. Uh, so not a ton of – not really any mainstream coverage about Greatest Royal Rumble. But then this November 2nd show, which is called Crown Jewel, uh, is on November 2nd. But on a October 2nd, uh, Jamal Khashoggi is murdered in the in the, the Saudi constable in Istanbul.
1: Yeah, and oddly enough, I brought it up on the show with you that week. Mm-hmm. Very vaguely, and you said, I don't know what you're talking about. Yep. And I, I told you to like read up on it, and you did the next week. And throughout that week there, it really exploded. And at the same time, because of the tension between Saudi Arabia and the U.S., the stock market took a tumble. And this also mirrors exactly when WWE stock reached its zenith and then began to fall again. So it got into the mid 90s and then started to fall almost identical timing to when Khashoggi was killed, Mm -hmm. partially because the general headwinds against the stock market began at that time. And WWE stock was one of the ones caught up in it. Mm -hmm. But by no means, of course, having this relationship with Crown Jewel, no doubt tied the two together in a way that there was added media scrutiny and that media scrutiny in some ways did become a roar at various moments here as Wall Street Journal weighed in on this, Daily Beast weighed in on this. Many websites that in the past had been skittish about covering professional wrestling in a much larger fashion showed interest both for the economic story of WWE stock's incredible rise throughout the year.
4: Yeah, I mean once it started getting going, I I followed pretty closely. I don't think there was a mainstream outlet that you can like think of off the top of your head that didn't cover this. Like Fox News covered that story.
1: Yeah. And uh, John Oliver covered that story in yeah. depth.
4: Yeah. Uh, so that was
1: that was an intriguing thing. <clears throat> May – I'm sorry, March 20th, one of the most unusual things to happen.
4: This is your cue to talk about K- Constantine Kairos.
1: <laughs> yes. It, I could say that there was the lawsuit around um, basically concussions that had been going on <clears throat> 20 <clears> – <throat> I believe the very first filing – Started five years ago. I think the 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 uh, Billy Jack Haynes mm-hmm. filing in Oregon is 2014, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. So 2014 is kicks off the concussion lawsuits, and 2018 kind of closes most of the chapter on it. There's appeals going on right now, but I'd argue the lifespan of those lawsuits of all the 60 some plaintiffs that were added, and the gosh, more than half dozen that have died since it started getting filed. You know, between. Mm-hmm. Rex Smith um uh Mr. Fuji Dynamite Kid Dynamite Kid uh, uh Black Jack Mulligan um
4: I think viscera was added after he died
1: uh, Viscera and Matt Bourne were both added as as uh, post uh, humus um and a few other people that uh, you know um are, are kind of oh uh really old wrestlers um Don Leo Jonathan I think Don Leo Jonathan was one of them yeah and uh maybe one of the because. Angelia. One of the Moscas? Moscas. I don't remember whether they died or not yet, but I, I did a post recently where I kind of went through like all the people who had died since this lawsuit had been filed. And then of course also, uh, Axel Rotten and balls Mahoney it. are members yeah. of it and, and other people. Um, and Rebel is involved in it in kind of a back and forth thing, though I don't think he's explicitly named as a person in it. Um, but just the fact that you know, they kind of open to close happening. Now, March 20th, a lot of speculation going on that Daniel Bryan's contract is finally going to be up. And Daniel Bryan is going to basically have served his purgatory time. And
4: he, had, he had announced his retirement. Uh, gosh, I don't know when. Uh, just before Royal Rumble uh, a couple years prior.
1: Yeah. And, and just the fact that basically WWE contract says if you get injured, the amount of time that you're not working for wwe we can add that to your contract so in theory if you had a three-year contract and you got injured on the very first day and you never showed up to a show they could make that a six-year contract in theory
4: so february 2016 is when daniel bryan does his big retirement on raw
1: yeah and so you know we hear that he's been doing all sorts of um hyperbolic chambers not hyperbolic hyper hyper hyperbaric. hyperbaric. yes (laughs) chambers to supposedly help heal his brain and go through all the testing and keeps finding other doctors that he says are going to help him out and that are going to clear him.
4: I guess and he admits to having seizures.
1: He, he says at one point he was having some kind of micro seizures and he had told Bree about it. And so Brie had been very upset. And there was a lot of, you know, questions is, is he going to new Japan? Is he going to ring of honor? Could he re could he revitalize?
4: Yeah. The, the impression was that if you didn't let him wrestle, uh, this is my what I believe. You just, you disagreed. I, I believe if WWE didn't let him wrestle, he was going to go wrestle somewhere else. And you believe that no matter what, he was going to resign. But at the I, I said now,
1: I said that the monetary connection for WWE and his family mm-hmm. was too high as a father. That between Total Bellas and his opportunity to make, let's say a million a year. I don't know what his real contract is, but let's say a million. It was pretty good money. In the relationship there that it would be harder for him to necessarily step back and say, you know what, I'm going to go on my own and do this. Not that I don't think he didn't believe in himself, but as a father and as someone to take care of a family, I think he also recognized that he only has certain years to have an earnings potential, and it would probably hurt his wife's ability to have a lot of earning potential. If they're probably already
4: millionaires. Then if you watch TV recently, you, you found out that Daniel Bryan is a, a fierce opponent of consumerism.
1: Yes. Yes. I was going to say, how do you feel about the fact that all of your views are being portrayed on WWTV as a heel?
4: Recycling is bad. Uh, being anti-consumerist is bad. These are, this is, this is the W worldview, I think. So, um, really interesting to see him
1: come back. And in a sense, kind of fascinating to be like Daniel Bryan comes back and yet we're talking about Kenny Omega. Mm -hmm. And that you could argue that in some ways he he has missed some of the revolution of what's happened here. And he's been stuck in feuds where, you know, I think people are pretty excited about a Nakamura-Daniel Bryan feud. And all in all, Nakamura, AJ Styles, he's had some good matches with people, but there's not been any material yet where anyone's going to say... The world has changed because Daniel Bryan was finally able to come back. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he's got to work with Almas and other people that, you know, he, he I think he was very passionate about. And even the fact that we have uh, the program that he's doing right now with, um, who am I thinking? Mustafa Ali. Yeah. I would argue that's very, I, I personally, see fingerprints of daniel bryan on that i think daniel bryan doesn't do a program like that unless he really thinks that someone has the talent that he wants to put them over and really get them into a situation where he can work with them and draw with them
4: i think he has input but like so many others they're constrained by what w mean roster is
1: yeah uh on may 13th uh new japan president harold may comes along i think this is relevant because we began this 2014 with ROH and New Japan working together in 2014. Yep. Harold May inserts the picture, not a Japanese businessman, a A, Dutch Dutch businessman who lives in Japan and does business with Japanese companies. But the question is, what would a Japanese promoter do and what will Harold May do are not necessarily the same logic stream. Mm -hmm. Would Harold turn his back on Ring of Honor at some point?
4: I don't know. Will he? Will he? We'll see next year, maybe. We
1: will find out sometime. Um, and uh, we've talked endlessly about Mr. May. Uh, hopefully, we will um, you know, hear more speeches by him, hear more interviews with him. I, I really appreci- appreciated the piece that was done uh, by Uproxx yeah. uh, this right. year.
4: With Emily Pratt, I believe. Yeah,
1: she did a great job interviewing him. And I think that's going to be intriguing that, in some ways, his connection to the U.S. scene has not been through the wrestling media as much as it's been through the anime media that's kind of crossed over. Because if you remember, the reason he was in, in the U.S. for that interview was through the anime, through the Bushiroad-type uh, presence. Okay.
4: He, he was just there to attend the uh, the, the anime convention itself as a
1: kind fan. Kind of. For Bushiroad. Yeah, they had New Japan stars there as well. But it was kind of a Japanese con. It was it was kind of like a expo of that. But I just meant... I, I get the feeling like in some ways it hasn't been like a let's do wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. It's been a little bit more like we're a Japanese company. What is in what, how are US people interested in Japan?
4: Mm-hmm. So then, uh, later in May, they don't make this official until I believe the following month, but we hear, uh, we, we know that WWE's US TV deals are up for renewal. They will expire not until October 2019, but they need to be renewed now. And, uh, so of course, WDRE has these US deals with NBC Universal to air Raw and SmackDown, which are airing on the USA Network. And uh, we find out, okay, NBC Universal is going to renew Raw, but they're going to let SmackDown go to the open market. And fuck. Fox-
0: this country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries.